two, three, four. In this podcast, you will only hear Knights of Vader, Knights of Vader, includes but is not led to who talk of Star Wars, not Reagans. We can't truly prepare for the jump that follows this song, but hey, we give it a try. So here's the Knights of Vader. Crystal Fox reports they are divided. For equal sequel, hate and love they fight I know that we are just musicians hired. And their time is up, so here's the Knights of Vader. Most impressive. A big thank you to An Inspiriority Complex for providing our theme song. It is October 19th, 2019. My name is Zach Weber, and I am joined by the only member of the Knights of Air that can officially read, Rob. Yes, thank you for having me back. I am glad to uh, be breaking new ground. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the first book review that we will cover more than one book? I think so. Ooh, right on. So uh, I guess before we get into uh, breaking down these books, and I guess by the title everybody knows they're the Galaxy of Fear books, very apt for this Monstober season. Uh, I had some comments that I wanted to talk about, you know, some some things I wanted to bring up, if that's all right with you, you Zach. Uh, I don't have much to say uh, to Zenger. I think I want to talk to the audience once again. Last time I was on Knights of Vader, uh, I reminded everybody that they should watch the season 21 premiere of Law & Order SVU, or SVU. So I wanted to know, what do you guys think? Zach, what have you thought about this this season of SVU so far? You've been keeping up on it, right? Uh, sure. Uh, not enough Mariska Hargitay. Too much uh, iced tea. <laughs> or, or maybe it's the other way around. I'm not entirely certain. Oh, it's great. Now, that's, uh, the last episode, at least when we are recording this, was actually pretty good. I enjoyed it uh, a lot more than I usually do. It was more... Heavy on the order than the law, and I like those. You know, it wasn't a lot of the, uh, oh, man, our detectives are characters. It's like, no, they're just detectives. But I, I also wanted to comment on something I thought was really interesting when I was watching an episode of SVU as it premiered, so I was stuck with commercials. I encountered a commercial for bipolar drugs, like bipolar medication, and I, I don't know if I've said this on Knights of Vader before, but I have a weird interest in, like, drug commercials, specifically the the warnings that they put at the end. I don't know if people have noticed, but in like the last few years, they'll say, don't take this drug if you're allergic to this drug. Like they will say that in commercials, and that's very interesting to me. But at the end of this commercial for bipolar medication, in big legible text, it said, do not eat grapefruit or drink grapefruit juice while on this medication. And I went, what? And as I looked into this, it turns out that many psychiatric medications for bipolar disorder are contraindicated with grapefruit and grapefruit juice. Did you ever know this, Zach? No, Rob, I did not know that on the Star Wars podcast. I think that this is so important because who knows? This might save a life someday. This is your Rob PSA. <laughs> Found that very intriguing. <laughs> three minutes in, folks. Three minutes in and we're already off topic. All right. Well, I figured uh, we can get back into topic. Those are the updates I wanted to give. Zach, I'll throw it over to you. Mr. Uh, Monstober picked these books because they're Star Wars related and I guess supposed to be scary. Was there any more backstory you wanted to give about them? Because I, I don't really know anything about them or knew anything about them until you sent them my way. 
No, folks, uh, like Rob said, by the title of this week's episode, if you don't already know, the Star Wars Galaxy of Fear books back in 1997 was Star Wars Lucasfilm's attempt of uh, aping off the success of the Goosebumps books, and I think at that point the TV series, and they lasted for 12 issues. In this episode, we're only going to be discussing the first six, which have a very specific continuity and timeline and story they're trying to tell. And the reason why we chose to do this, I think two years ago we did a Halloween like spooky episode. Last year we didn't do anything like Halloween related. And the main reason why we're doing this is that on Cinemodities, we had the entire month plus of Monstober. Woo! Rob, do you want to tell our audience what sort of like visual delights are had in the Cinemodities Monstober <laughs> month? Well, Monstober uh, was in, started by Zach over at Cinemodities, and it's become... Probably my favorite tradition now that we have it, where uh, Zach throws some great stuff out and I really enjoy it. But it always starts with a an episode not in Monstover about goosebumps. After you get through the goosebumps, uh, with a lot of Zach sighing and and me also sighing this this year surprisingly, then we get into the great. Uh, I think the way that I was thinking about it was we did a lot of sequels. So we did Halloween three, we did a Texas Chainsaw Massacre two. But then we covered bonkers things like Ted Bundy movie, and yet bonkers is the best way to describe that. It's not very serious, if you might imagine a serial killer biopic would be. And then, of course, we went and discussed and argued for, what, seven, eight hours about the good old Shining movie by Stanley Kubrick. And it's great fun. If you haven't checked it out yet, I strongly recommend it. Shameless plug. (laughs) <laughs> no, no shameless plugs for Cinemodis here Because it is Monstober No shameless plugs for Monstober during the month of Monstober But yes, folks, if you're inclined to listen to anything Goosebumps related Or anything kind of like spooky macabre Go over to Cinemodis You won't be disappointed by the time you're hearing this The entire month will be out for you to listen to Nothing will be uh, behind uh, I guess just uh, waiting to be released Because we're recording this episode Knowing that it won't be the next episode to come out Because the next episode, well Next episode to be recorded, actually, last week's episode was the Rise of Skywalker trailer. After everything you just said, Zach, and how many times you said episode, episode? I would like to quote Shelley Duvall from The Shining. I'm very confused. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. I hope somebody understood what you said. That it would, it, it, there was a lot of the uses of the word episode in there. It's fine. It's fine. Everybody's used to my nonsense. See, folks, it wouldn't be a book episode unless it's a stream of consciousness from me. That's one of the <laughs> hallmarks, too, of the book episode. If you're not confused at some point during the conversation, you're not doing it right. Um, but no, Rob, we have the, the Rise of Skywalker trailer will, will have been out, God, for like a week plus by now. But obviously, we haven't seen it yet. So I want to, apparently, I don't think I told Rob this. I don't think I told the audience this. Well, I might have told him last week. But apparently, from what I've heard from the grapevine, in front of the show, John Justice, author of the Embark books, buy them now on Amazon or Audible. Um, he told me that according to what he's read, and don't skip ahead, that apparently much of what has been leaked so far, as in what we've reported on Knights of Vader, is not true. <gasps> bum, so, bum, um, bum. So a bunch of that stuff about like uh, Ray, Ray Skywalker being the final like line of the movie, um, the film opening up with Luke and Leia like like a flashback, like sparring with each other. That's not true. Um, so 
hopefully none of it's true because I don't want a lot of that stuff sounded horrible. And I'm kind of glad <laughs> that it's not true. I know it's kind of not, it's still kind of not relevant now, but fingers crossed that the trailer kind of uh, crosses a bunch of that stuff off and at least points us in whole new directions. Okay. Hopefully. I, uh, that's hopefully. Interesting. That's interesting to hear. And I think that leads perfectly into our thesis for this episode um, that episode nine is going to focus solely on the characters of Tash and Zach Aranda and their Uncle Hool and Droid DV9, right? Yes. Like Project Starscream is going to come back. Darth Vader is going to come back. Emperor Palpatine is going to come back. Borborygmus Gog is going to come back. <laughs> Rod's possibly new favorite character in all of Star Wars canon, right? We are going to have to get into what I think the choice of that name means in this book. <laughs> Folks, we have, was... to get, we have to get into the etymo and, and etymology of the name of this main villain. It's insane. <laughs> yes, folks. He was very upset by that. I got a text message one night being like, is this what the character's name is? This is who the villain's name is? It's so stupid. Oh, but I don't I don't know. I don't want to jump ahead because we don't get to learn that till the fourth book out of the six we're discussing. Yes. All right. So Galaxy of Fear, like we said, it's a little, it's Star Wars version of Goosebumps. I think that tells you all you need to know about it, though. But Rob, with that, I guess we'll probably do a little breakdown of each book because you probably can sum up most of them in about like each book can be summed up in about two, three sentences. Uh, uh, I do have summaries for each one that I'll read. Some oh, of them are, okay. are a little longer than three sentences, but uh, <laughs> I think they they do a good job capturing the essence of the book or the the plot of the book and my feelings on it. All right, Rob, why don't you give us give us a breakdown of each of these six books? All right, so the first one. So I guess the, the, the thing I did want to say, these all came out in 1997. They, so all six came out in that year of 1997. I think like seven and eight also came out in 1997. But the first one, or I should say the first six, as Zach said, form an arc. And the first one is called Eaten Alive. And here we go. This is my summary. Zach and Tash are Alderaan refugees that are under the care of their Uncle Hool. Tash is interested in the Jedi. They go to a planet that just seemingly appeared, Devoran. Oh, and I want to say, correct me on any pronunciations, Zach, if I'm getting any of these wrong or if I can get them wrong. <laughs> oh, sure. Okay. It turns out that the planet is alive and eats people with a race called the Enzine as its symbiotes. Zach and Tash discover that the planet and the Enzine were an Imperial experiment and they are rescued by the main Star Wars crew. So Luke, Leia, Han, and Chewie, R2-D2, and C-3PO, there are uh, special guests in this book. And then the end twist is that Devoran disappears and reappears in the Outer Rim. So the, the planet that eats people is somewhere in the Outer Rim. And I, this brings me to kind of something that's going to be in each of these summaries and something we're going to have to talk about. When we say that these books are inspired by and modeled by Goosebumps, we mean that down to the structure of the story. <laughs> I don't know how much Goosebumps Zach actually read when he was younger, but I read all of them. I read all of the original series and a little bit of Goosebumps 2000s, but that was different in, in a lot of ways, and I started to get out of those books as I got older. But Goosebumps is hallmarked by a few things. Kids encounter a creepy premise. In some way, there's some negative force, whether it be an entity, a power, an evil camera, that influences their life in a negative way. The second thing is that every book ends on a cliffhanger, that the thing that they, they thought they beat the evil, but it's back, but it's you know lurking in the shadows. And the third hallmark is that, remember the second hallmark was that every book ends with a twist. The third hallmark is that every chapter 
ends with a cliffhanger that is immediately resolved at the start of the next <laughs> chapter. It is it is almost nauseating when I read it now, especially reading these six in a row. You know, every chapter ends with something shocking happening, and then it's explained away in one or two sentences in the immediate next chapter. So that's going to come up a lot. I think we'll have to talk about those twists. But that was uh, our first book, Eaten Alive. And something I also told Zach that I was doing was I was rating all of these after I was reading. Oh, God, yeah. And so now I'm not rating them in a particular order. You can, you know, order them because they all have different ratings. But I kind of rated them as just independently. And the scale that I follow goes from negative four to 18. That's an ideal scale. We don't have to get into why I think that's an ideal scale. But that's the scale we're going to use for these books, Zach. And I gave Eaten Alive an 11. From on a negative four to an eighteen, I gave Eaten Alive an eleven. I thought it was fun. It was an easy, enjoyable read. I haven't read something this easy to consume in a long time, so it was almost you know refreshing. It was like doing a like a, a four by four Sudoku where you could put any number anywhere. It's just simple, and it's got children's books cliches. But you know, I didn't think any of the setups and payoffs were really egregious in this one. But that's going to change as we get into the later books. Are you ready for me to keep going, or uh, did you want anything you wanted to? Did I miss anything that you thought? No, I think you described okay. it quite well because these books do follow a very specific pattern. After a while, that's really hard to ignore. Oh yeah. So right. the second, uh, what? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Second book is City of the Dead. The gang is dropped off on Necropolis. I mean, come on. The, I should have known by this point that this guy had no ability to name anything. Uh, the gang is dropped off on Necropolis by the Millennium Falcon so they can procure a new ship. Because the ship something happens to the ship in the last one. Zack makes a fast friend and is dared to go into the Sacred Cemetery, which leads to the gang getting caught up in another weird event, raising the dead this time with a background of Boba Fett looking for the mad scientist Evazon. Ev- yeah, Evazon. Zack gets captured by Evazan and is possibly exposed to his experiments, but the gang escapes and gets a new ship. The end twist is that Zack may actually be a zombie. I do want to say, Zack, did you want to read these books just so you could hear me say your name a lot more? <laughs> I want on the record that Zack Aranda spells his name differently from mine, so there is, there is some differentiation there. <laughs> yes, so, okay. I gave this one, on a scale of negative 4 to 18, I gave this one a 9. The luster was coming off on this one. I was, uh, I thought this one was a little more, you know, uh, the, the, it tried to stand on its own as a book, but tried to be too connected to the first, where, you know, they, they recap the first book in the first chapter or so, so you know the story. But then, you know, the main point of this is, like, Zach is like, the dead people are coming to life. Everybody, we need to stop the dead from rising. And everybody goes, no, you're just imagining things, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, this is exactly what happened in the first book, but with Tash. Tash was like, the planet's eating people. Everybody goes, no, you're just imagining things. And I'm like, wouldn't they be a little more cautious now? So it, it was falling apart. And that's it continued every, that's, to that's fall. Every, that's every single book. Something happens, and all the characters mock that one particular character for oh. observing that. And then by the end, they all recognize it, and then they completely forget about what happened in the previous book or installment. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, Zach is exactly right, and that's why my reviews are going to get a little snarkier from here Uh-oh. on out. <laughs> Uh-oh. The third book is Planet Plague. This uh, is the first one. Uh, so I guess I didn't mention, the first two books actually had the same release date, and it was January 1st, 1997, which I, 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 I find that really weird that a book came out on New Year's Day, but whatever. Planet Plague came out three months later on April 1st. 
In Planet Plague, Zack is sick from the events of the last book, so Hul takes them to Ma Dala, which has a grand medical center that is apparently run by an old friend of his, of Hul's. They are only able to get onto the planet through a blockade, an Imperial blockade, because they have Evazan's ship. Tash starts to think something is up while Zack is put in a back-to-tank. I actually like that scene. And eventually they uncover a plot of the evil scientist that involves a virus that encases victims in goo, eventually turning them into slime balls that work to repeat the process. The guest appearance is Wedge Antilles, and I don't know who that is. The end <laughs> twist is that there will be more books in the series. On a scale from negative 4 to 18, I gave this one a 0. This was so stupid. I did not understand this book, primarily because if you remember, what I, I just told you was that the, the nemesis is slime balls, like literally balls of ooze. That's how they describe them in the book. And the first two times they encounter these things, people are just like, these, these balls of slime touched me and it's tough to get off. And I'm like, what is happening? I'm like, what's going on in this book? And it was, it was bad. It was really bad. All right. Number four takes a slight upturn because I was just fully, fully encased into, you know, knowing this was going to be horrendous at this point after the halfway <laughs> point of book three. Four is called The Nightmare Machine. Oh, here we go. I think this, is, this might be the longest one because this is where we learn the scientist's name. Our rambunctiously depressed sibling heroes are dropped off at a hologram amusement park by Hool because that's this book. At the beginning, they go into the nightmare machine and are told that it causes people to experience nightmares. They literally tell us that the rest of book will take place in a nightmare. This book is my nightmare machine. A sibling suicide pact saves the day. It is revealed that the main evil scientist villain is named Borborygmus Gog. Borborygmus is the technical name for stomach rumbles, which is absolutely true. I think Gog is either a reference to the word agog, which means eagerness and curiosity, or to some biblical mythical stuff that I decided was not worth my time to get into in this summary. Why did I even write this in this summary? The guest appearance is Lando Calrissian, played by Billy D. Williams. <laughs> the end twist is that there will be more books in the series. And I gave this one, this one was so stupid, I loved it. Because like I said in my summary, they literally oh go, God. they literally go, this machine will cause you to hallucinate. And I'm like, okay, that's the end of the book, that it was all an hallucination. And then that's what it was. Like, there was nothing to this book. It was so shallow. It's the perfect example of the bare bones of what a goosebump structure should be. On a scale of negative four to 18, I gave this a 15. For that exact reason. This should be in a museum somewhere. Like, this should be in the Library of Congress as a great example of everything that was wrong with children's books in the 90s. <laughs> I did want to ask Zach, since Lando is the guest in this, you I totally pictured him as Billy D. Williams, right? Like, there's no other way to do that. Yeah, no, he's, he's Lando here. Yeah, you, you, can't be, uh, you can't be thinking of, like, I would, if somebody read this and was like, yeah, I thought of Childish Gambino. Be like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> All right. Fifth book is Ghost of the Jedi. Oh, the, the gang goes to Jabba's palace on Tatooine to find a way to contact the Rebel Alliance and are led to an abandoned station called Nespus 8. There they meet up with Force Flow, who I'm realizing now I did not mention any other <laughs> summaries. Yeah, Force and, Flow is there since what? Book number two. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
So they meet up with Force Flow and fortune seekers that are searching for the lost and cursed Jedi library. Of course, they find the library and uncover that it's not actually cursed, but it's a trap set by Borborygmus Gog to steal people's life force. Gog was Force Flow the whole, whole time because, obviously. Tash has a moment with the Force Ghost stuck in limbo at the library, and she does a Force thing and stops being mopey about her dream in the last book. We're going to get back to that story. I hated that plot line. Gog is thrown into a seemingly bottomless pit. The guest appearance is maybe Aiden Bach, possibly a disgraced Joe Camel that now goes by the name Danik Jericho, and definitely the trash compactor monster from the first movie. The end twist that Darth Vader will be in the next book, and that Gog is still alive, which isn't even a twist. From negative 18, I gave this one a 7. I, I liked the Force stuff. I liked kind of the, the house our main character or one of them was able to use the force after, you know, just inkling at it in the last books. I knew it had to come and I thought it was pretty neat that it wasn't like a Jedi mind trick. She just like pushed the gun away or something like, or the blaster is whatever they're called in star Wars universe. So yeah, gave this one a seven and that takes us to the conclusion of the book. Oh, who, who is the Joe camel in disguise? Oh, Danic Jericho. Okay. (laughs) What made you think of that? Okay. So the, to get into the finer details of this book, um, people are getting like murdered. So they're losing their life force, but they just think they're, so anybody who goes to the Jedi temple, they just like end up a lifeless husk. And you know, before they know that it's, it's Borborygmus Gog stealing their life force, they think someone on the planet is murdering the other people looking for the temple. And they, someone goes and gets murdered and they're like, well, we were all together, so it couldn't have been us. The only person that wasn't there was this guy named Danik Jericho. And so they go to confront Danik Jericho and, like, interrogate him. And he takes them to, like, a little, like, a hut or, like, a like a rock out outlay or something oh, like that. Oh, okay, and now I know. Ready? Okay, Here I we go. I, I, I wrote it down. I I wrote, oh, God, I set him up for this. Oh, this, folks, I'm so this, sorry. This I'm so sorry. literally a quote from the book. Danik produced a long, thin reed from his vest pocket, a pipe. I confess that I have acquired a rather unpleasant habit. I smoke tobacco. We'll come back to that. Although I find the habit detestable myself, I have been unable to quit. In order to hide this personal failure, I prefer to smoke in private. This comes out of nowhere in this book. <laughs> like it's yeah, just like, how, yeah. do, how do we know he's not the murderer? And he's like, I he's like, I am ashamed of my addiction. And then there's even the line where the droid's like, There's a lot of ash here, sir. He definitely couldn't have smoked all this, you know, and committed the murder. And I'm just like, oh my god. I'm like, what is going on? So <laughs> yeah, I forgot this, about that. Is this established that that you can smoke something in the Star Wars universe called tobacco? He spells it T apostrophe B A C. So it is literally a contraction of tobacco. They did that a couple of times with stuff in, in, in the back during the 90s. I know in Heir to the Empire, Luke Skywalker talks about how Lando Calrissian introduced him to the drink of hot chocolate. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. So, yes, every once in a while, they would do something really like astronomically like hammy and just like shove it in somewhere like i I get it it's a wink and a nod to the audience but yes as of now i don't think they do anything like that okay Um, they they think they're too clever for that nowadays but in the past they would do that 
this was before Death Sticks came out in episode two, yes, right? This is this is before <laughs> Death Sticks. So can we assume that the Death Sticks were to bet to back to Bach? I think Death Sticks would be more like Molly, but that's oh, just me. Okay. okay. <laughs> right on. Who's who's the the ghost character you were making fun of? Uh, Aiden Bach. Aiden, Aiden Bach. Bach. And I had no okay. idea who that was, so that's why that's why I said the guest appearance is maybe Aiden Bach, possibly Joe Camel, and definitely the trash compactor monster from the first movie. And yes, I believe it's the same trash compactor monster. What yes. do they call, they call it? Like the like the 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 it's like a it's some ridiculous. They might as well call it a graboid, but it's in the water, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the trash compactor monster it has a name, but I'm not gonna look it up. Yeah, they say it in the book. Um, yeah, I don't remember it though. Okay, it's trash compactor monster. You're right. <laughs> All right, that takes us to the last in this arc. Book six, Army of Terror. Hool takes the gang to Kiva, which is a planet that supposedly has no life. Their ship is shot down by an automated weapon, and the gang heads to the laboratory on the planet, which is Gog's headquarters. In the lab, they find a baby that only says the word Epin, so they think that's his name instead of realizing the blindingly obvious twists that's going to come in about 70 pages. Han, Chewie, Luke, and Leia show up with rebel soldiers looking to destroy Project Starstream as well. That, that blew me away. I was like, of course they need to get them back involved. As they head back to their ships, Epin eats rebel soldiers and gets bigger and older, but no one realizes this because the book isn't over. Darth Vader shows up to crack skulls. Oh, yeah. Oh, I wrote, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, there are wraiths, which are the remnants of the life on this now lifeless planet, and all of Hul's backstory is revealed as if the author forgot he hadn't told it yet. Darth Vader sits down for story time with Tash and Zack. Gog shows up somewhere in there and reveals Epin is a weapon. Duh! Gog kills Epin. The race kill Gog. No one kills Darth Vader. The end twist is that Epin is still alive. And I gave this an 8 on the scale. What'd you give uh, Ghost of the Jedi? Ghost of the Jedi was a 7. That was a 7, Okay. So the lowest rank one is the uh, the goo monster story. Yeah, planet terror. That got a zero. Or planet that got plague. A, planet plague. That got a zero. <laughs> I got a zero. Okay. Then the next lowest one was uh, Army of Terror. Or not Army of Terror. It was uh, Ghost of the Jedi. Yep. So that was a seven. Yep. Okay. Just making sure I'm, I'm putting these all in perspective, folks. Yep. And then uh, this book six got an eight. Book two got a nine. Book one got an eleven. And book four got a fifteen. Good lord. <laughs> Good lord, folks. So, so I guess since we just reviewed this one, and I guess this would be the freshest in both of our heads, uh, Army of Terror, since we read it last. I'm assuming Zach read this in, in order. Yes, yes, he did. <laughs> I, I, how, how loud was your scream when you read that the baby said Epin and they thought it was its name? Like that was that I literally wanted to punch the the book. Or the printout that I had when I when I read that. It was so glaringly obvious. It's like, Eppin, Eppin, Eppin. And Hul's like, put that thing down. This is our enemy's base. And they're like, oh, but it's a baby. And I'm like, it's a weapon. I'm like, he didn't even do cleverly. He took one letter off of it. I, no, I, he took the A out, too. And he added an additional P. <laughs> He was hoping that the no one in the audience would say the word out loud. That they would, no. they would just read it. <laughs> These are children, Rob. They're stupid. Oh, my God. That that was probably the most offensive thing to me in this that whole was. series. Yeah, I hated that. And then when it's revealed later, because it's literally like the lines are next to each other. Epin. Weapon. I circled it and wrote an expletive. 
<laughs> oh, Rob. All right. So my opinion on this series, Rob, like, okay. So overall, Rob, what is your opinion of this? Is this a decent goosebumps knockoff or is it subpar or is it just par for the course? I, uh, I would actually say this is a, a, a grand Goosebumps knockoff. I think it follows the formula perfectly. I think that's why I had a lot of fun reading them. You know, I never was, like, I got angry with them, like I just described, but I was never really, like, dreading reading it. Because, they're like I said, they're easy to read. Like, I was able to sit down and bang out, like, the first, the shorter ones in, like, an hour, an hour and a half. And it's like, wow, you know, that was just a quick story that, you know, mildly offended my literary nature. And so, overall, I thought it was, it was good fun. The other thing I do want to comment is, I don't think we, oh, I mentioned it in my first summary, but the main characters we follow are Alderaan refugees. Like, they were people that were from Alder, kids that were from Alderaan that weren't on the planet when it blew up. And I thought that was a really neat setting for our characters, and that kind of kept me going most of the way, because it was like, oh, wow, they can play with that in some neat ways. They only played with that in neat ways maybe a handful of times, but, but it's still, you know, it lent itself to some, some neat ideas. Rob was pretty content with this overall. Um, my, I, okay, well, I had this idea, folks, because it basically came down to one, th like, two things. It came either this or doing the Death Troopers book, which is about, like, zombie, like, stormtroopers on, like, a derelict ship. And I realized, eh, that's, that's too easy. And a lot of people have covered that. But I realized I've always been aware of the, the Galaxy of Fear book. I can still remember back in the day, like, oh, God, when I was younger, going into Walmart uh, a Walmart that's not there anymore. And I can still remember seeing like the, the cover of the Eaten Alive book because it, had, it was like the very, like, I imagine most people, if you type it into Google right now, you probably would recognize the cover too if you were around during that time period. That book was always on the shelf, I guess, because it was the first one. But considering that I didn't, didn't get involved with Star Wars until like the, like obviously 99 and later. So that book was on shelves for two years plus after its publishing date. Mm -hmm. So this, so this series must have always been popular to some degree. It probably just, it probably only died out because Goosebumps died out along yeah. the same time. Because that's because again, Rob, you're the Goosebumps expert here. Uh, was Goosebumps dying by this time, or was it? Where was Goosebumps in 1997 and eight? Uh, it was, it was still going. I think this was when it was getting heavy into like you know the the eras of the the stories that did get sequels were on, you know, like probably Night of the Living Dummy 4 was around this time. So it was definitely getting up there. And then I think it was in 99 when the original Goosebumps petered out and Goosebumps 2000 started and that kind of revamped it. Okay. So this because, is near the, near the end, the last, no, last year or so, I'd say. Yeah, because that's one of the things I found interesting about this was that most of the characters in story here, and yeah, I get it, this is meant for like what? fifth graders more or less like this, this is kind of like yeah. right right before they become kind of like cynical like teenagers and this the, most of the characters never showed up again anything else mm, and that was okay. kind of and that was kind of my biggest disappointment because i think i was like i finished chapter chapter book number three and i looked up some of the characters and i figured okay i, I wonder if zach or uh whatever her name is tosh Ta 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 oh, tosh, tosh, i guess i call whatever. it tash but tash whatever um i'm curious like oh they must have shown up somewhere or i know star wars does this a lot where they'll yeah. throw in like a reference to a name somewhere and no they pretty much stayed like they were exclusive to this series of books and they never showed up again. Even, wow. even uncle Hool, he has more of a history before these books came out because he apparently was like, Oh God, he's in a couple of star Wars reference books that were published in the mid nineties. 
Oh, interesting. Okay. And that's all I found interesting because even like in the new books that they write, they'll throw in a couple, like they, they'll do that every now and again. Like they'll throw in a name here and there and be like, oh, oh, I found this old book written by a, a hool. And it'd be like, oh, aha, for certain people in the yeah. audience who remember. And they've never, they've never done that with the current canon, never mind legends. And I find that fascinating. Mm. This is one of those things that the fact that they never went back to it leads me to believe that this was probably deemed a failure of some sort by Lucasfilm for them to never reference it ever again. That leads me to believe that it was, or maybe it wasn't a failure more, just it didn't have any sort of meaningful impact. So it it just kind of got, Oh God, set adrift into the ether of star Wars content. And there's being, there's God, how many hundreds of books out there that no one will ever remember. (laughs) Um, It's sad to say with this, because even though, yes, these books are geared toward children, they are cute. They're inoffensive. There's there's really nothing. Like, they're dumb only because of who they're trying to appeal to. Yes, I know Rob's upset because certain things like Epin and the Nightmare Machine. I get all that. But there are certain stories that I was looking at. And you don't really have all these books. The only one that I genuinely liked was the second one. That okay. was the, only, the, the Boba Fett stories I kept referring to it as, uh, City yeah. of Dead. Because as I was reading that, I'm like, and especially now that we're only what? A week and a half away from the Mandalorian I'm like you have the city Of Necropolis and I know again Rob has a problem with that but again you remember You have to deal remember who you're dealing with here you're dealing With children and You have Boba Fett going To a city of the dead To hunt down Dr. Evazan Who's creating zombies Mm -hmm. And I'm like how On earth isn't that a, A premise for a Again, standalone movies, a term thrown around too much nowadays, but as a project in Star Wars, the idea of having Boba Fett hunting Dr. Evazan, that is a million dollar idea. Yeah, I I was totally on board with that. I thought it was great to like the first book with the the um, original trilogy Star Wars gang showing up like I got that it's the first book they got to have that tie in. And then the second one was Boba Fett. I was like, wow, didn't expect that. And it was neat. Exactly. And that's the thing is that like for most of the other books, I think they have disposable like uh, ideas and story directions. Again, the idea of having this like the, the planet that eats itself is a very pulpy premise. And I like mm-hmm. it on that mm-hmm. level. But like the, the ending of the book, like you say, is just that oh, the planet just disappears. Yeah. And it's like, oh, God. And it's like, oh, it, it eats their ship. So they have to get off on the Money and Falcon. And Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, and Han Solo like, rescue come to the day. And that was the kind of stuff I didn't like. Because I get it. You have to have your cameos in there to keep people along with. Uh, but it's like you don't need them to rescue the characters. Which is what happens at least mm. twice in the in the first six books. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, they rescue them in book one. They rescue them in book six. And I get it. The children need to be rescued because they're children. They, they can't just figure out their way out of every single problem. But it's weird because as I was, like, because I, I knew the sixth book was a quasi, supposedly was going to be a quasi, like, wrap up of the, the storyline from the first book. And as I'm reading it, and it's like, again, I had tangible books. Rob had uh, not a tangible book. And <laughs> I, I'm getting, I did print them out, though. <laughs> Remember I told did I tell you that? Well, yes. Oh yes, you have printouts. So if I yeah, actually I, I found the uh, the weird formatted PDFs online and printed them all out. <laughs> yes, you did, folks. But I actually got my copies from the library. They're really cool. They're actually like the library bound editions. So they have like different like more stylized artwork than the uh than the ones you would get like on a Walmart shelf. And most of the books ended around like page 125. And so I'm reading the last book and I'm like, okay, it's a page 115. 
and we haven't wrapped the story up at all. And it's like, okay, a page 120, still haven't wrapped the story up. And then, like, you get to, like, the very last page, and literally everything gets wrapped up. It's like, okay, oh, yeah. it's like Epin is killed, Gog is killed, Darth Vader's trapped in the base, they escape, but Vader is still out there, along with a, like, twitching Epin. And it's like, that's it? That That's the wrap-up to all this? Like, I get it. There's still six more books out there, but those have a very, a much looser continuity than these did. And I'm like, that's it. Like, that doesn't make me want to read the next book. It makes me go like, okay, I feel a little cheated. And I don't know how many kids would have felt that way reading these back in the nineties, but it didn't feel like there was any sort of like conclusion to that story. I'm just like, okay, our characters got away. Again, I guess. <laughs> yep. But yeah, there's from what specific connecting yeah, to and the next bunch. From of what I've read, the next six are very much like that, where they're just kind of on the run from the Empire, and it's just like, oh, we're in this wacky situation, but we get away, and then this wacky situation, but we get away, and and then I guess they ran out of steam after twelve. Well, apparently, I'm not sure if you read this though, but but this was always the John Whitman, who's the author of all these books. He was only contracted at twelve. And well, he was contracted initially at six. He says that he wrote the first two and they said, okay, can you make it from six to 12? And he said, sure. And then he felt kind of like he was kind of, I don't want to say he was burned out, but it was, he felt like he'd done enough with this. And he's like, okay, I'm done. And that's where Lucasfilm left it. Okay, okay. I did not read that, but that makes some sense. As why it it kind of just yeah. ended. It kind of just okay. ended. And his rationale being in this interview, I think it was on yodanews.com. Um, I'll link to it in the show notes. I had a really hard time finding it. I found the article, but I, could, I couldn't access it. I had to go through the uh, the the web archive, the Way Way Back machine, or the access. And whatever mm. yodanews.com is doing, I couldn't access it directly through their site. Um, but apparently it was that Lucasfilm did this because they were trying to entice a new market into star wars oh okay okay makes sense and i guess in 1997 this was i guess right after shadows of the empire so this is this is two plus years before the prequels the i guess it's the same month that the special editions were starting so this so 97 really was kind of the uh well technically shadows the empire was the rebirth of star wars and argument can be made that heir to the empire was the rebirth of star wars but this really was the uh i guess wave two of star wars in the sense of okay lucas at this point had decided he's making the prequels we gotta start laying the groundwork for getting people hooked on this and that makes perfect sense you know you have all you got to check off your you know your books and you say well what what's gonna you know work well that goosebumps sure is popular with the young kids let's throw that at them perfect yeah makes perfect sense yeah but the thing i kind of was getting connecting it back to like anything i do these days everything has to connect to the uh, current slate or the current state of star wars is as i was like thinking about these books especially toward the end the idea that like by book six you for the most part have firmly established tash zach Uncle Hool and DV mm-hmm. as your protagonist. Yet inexplicably, we have to throw in Luke, Leia, and Han. Yeah. And it kind of it's weird to think about this that 22 years later, Star Wars is in the same predicament it was back then. <laughs> in oh, that, that's a great point. <laughs> in that we've established all these new venues. I'm sorry, we've oh god, distinguished or established all these new avenues for Star Wars. Yet everything still has to be rooted in Leia, Han, and Luke. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I find that fascinating that 
nothing's changed. That, yeah, that is fascinating. And that it's also extremely disheartening that is this what Star Wars is always going to be? Will it always be locked under the lens or I guess locked within the prism of Luke, Leia and Han? Mm, that Star yeah. Wars cannot like I want to do that like Star Wars horror book. Star Wars cannot escape those three characters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because like because like, again, yes, Boba Fett, like, you can throw in Boba Fett, you can throw in Wedge, heck, you can throw in Lando. Lando is not part of the Trinity. But Luke, Leia, and Han, it's like, oh God. Mm-hmm. It's like really, and I know later on in the series they would do stuff with like I know Thrawn showed up later on stuff like characters like him that at that point really were kind of like your new your new version of like what Star Wars would be known as, but it's just that it's like I don't know it's it's this idea that maybe the man babies who are constantly whining and as how Disney labels them the ardent fans maybe not that they're not wrong. But clearly, the people in charge don't want to take that. Don't want to change their minds. Maybe, maybe the people like me, and I don't know Rod's particular stance on this, but I think he's closer. He's more aligned to how I think than the man babies do. Is that the people in charge don't don't want to change their minds? In us trying to do something that want them to do something different, we're the wrong ones at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, I would I would agree with that. But yes, that was kind of my biggest takeaway from all these books was that, oh, every and considering you do have some really fascinating stories here. Like, yes, you do have your thing with like the planet where everybody turns into like the giant ooze monsters. And it's like, fine, that's a very like, it's a blob premise. Yep. That, that's easily digestible for anybody to understand. But some of the stuff that really became more Star Warsy, and probably my, my second favorite book, and the rest of them you can kind of, I think they're more or less disposable, being the Ghost of the Jedi, the idea of the Jedi having this like giant structure, or what, planet structure out in the unknown area of Star Wars, mm-hmm. where they had a bunch of information, that's something that, again, I think is interesting. Like, I know Rob says that he kind of prefers when Star Wars doesn't delve into the the more mystical side of itself. But that's when my ears started to perk up again. Like, okay, you either have to go very pulpy with Boba Fett hunting Dr. Evazan that's making zombies out of a graveyard, mm-hmm. or you have to go the other extreme where it's 100% just the explanation of the Jedi. Sure, sure. I see because because the stuff like the Army of Terror is just like, oh god, enough on the run stories. Mm, Yeah, yeah. Like after a while, that grows very tedious. Definitely. And that was kind of my thing because like the Nightmare Machine, the Nightmare Machine was one I probably disliked the most. I mean, that makes sense. (laughs) Well, yeah, because you can very tell like from the very beginning, like. You know, like they explain the plot, the twist in the first what thirty pages of the book. Yeah, yep. and you're like, there's no twist if you explain it. Like, imagine you're watching Psycho, and Norman Bates gives Janet Lee a room based on like, dressed as Norma. Yeah, it's like <laughs> no, like you cannot sell your twist in the first like third of the movie. That's not how twists work. Um, again, I get, I get it. It's for children. You gotta lay groundwork. But the weird thing is that they give away the twist and they lay more groundwork to explain it. It's like, no, it's like, why? Like, I get it. I'm an adult. I shouldn't be reading this. But, like, the kids aren't that stupid either. These books aren't for us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, But, yeah, that was kind of my biggest thing with these books is that they're cute. Um, you, You can pick them up to this day. They're inoffensive. But for the most part... 
oddly enough, they're very reflective of what's currently going on in Star Wars to this day. I didn't think about it that way, but I, I, yeah, I got to give that some thought now because that's a really good point you bring up for sure. They can't escape the uh, the ties of the original movie. And when they do do that, though, it's like, okay, you have to throw Darth Vader in. That's what I do have to give this book credit for, or books, is that Vader, I'm starting to learn over time, that Vader has to be used very sparingly. Mm -hmm. That if you throw, like, Vader is so much of like a, I, oh God, what's the example that people used to use? What I think it's in that, oh, oh no, it's Lord of the Rings. Was it Lord of the Rings with the Eagles or whatever it is, where it's like, it's the Deus Ex Machina? Yeah, yeah. Vader is almost like the antithetical deus ex machina because anytime he shows up he sucks the air out of the room <laughs> definitely because it even happens in this that like okay you have this you have epid who turns into like this giant like purple like rage monster and then vader shows up in the room and it's like okay this thing has doesn't have a prayer of surviving mm, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. vader is such a force of nature within star wars there's practically nothing that can stump him yeah, that's I, I felt the same way because, you know, Gog is like, it's undefeatable, blah, blah, blah. And the rebels are what, shooting blasters at it. And one of the kids is like, oh, no, we're in a jam, aren't we? Golly gee. And then Vader shows up and whips out his lightsaber. I'm like, of course, of <laughs> course. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think it's clever, too. The book makes a very big point that even early on in the series being like, oh, Vader, Vader has command of the force, something that I have no knowledge of. But I will soon make him. Uh, oh, God. I will sit there and strip him of that. Yeah. And, it's, and I get it. Like, a Vader is that sort of character. So, like, even, again, as we know from Rogue One, you cannot have Vader in it too much because he'll just steamroll over everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that this laid the groundwork for that, whereas you do get, you got books and things later on in Star Wars Legends at the time or canon where late, where Vader is allowed to be that steamroll. So sure. I do, so I do have to give it, credit within star wars literature or just star wars content that they did know when to kind of uh let up on the reins of that sort of thing mm, mm-hmm. yeah, and even, yeah and even having luke the fact that this is uh pre-empire strikes back luke so he is for the most part a novice when he comes to the force and he's just he's more or less just as ignorant as tosh is because i think rob kind of laid it out very uh cynically but she's very force enabled Oh yeah, yeah, and that's you know that's kind of her arc through these six books, along with the main one, is that she learns more about that and how to use it. I liked though in the first book too, where you know they encounter Luke and she's like, I I feel connected to this person, and they have like, a little bit of dialogue, and she says something like, Luke, what's the Force about? And he's like, Hell if I know. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, that's neat. I'm like, that's cool. It's not like you know, this isn't gonna like help her any quicker than like the journey would have type of thing. Yeah, this is also a time, too, that, like, yes, you did have a bunch of Star Wars books in this time period, but this was only 14 years after Return of the Jedi. So, oh, you, yeah. you, so you didn't have the day, like, this was all written at a time before the prequels were a thing. Like, when they talk about the Clone Wars, Invaders, Extermination of the Jedi, there was none of this, even though it was always hinted at back then, there was never this very firm idea of what we see in Revenge of the Sith where Anakin strides up the temple and just murders all the Jedi. Like, that, that was not mm-hmm. a definitive thing at that time. It was always yep. hinted at based on what Obi-Wan says in the first film. But it was adding more to that, just like, it was adding very thin layers to a story that nobody really ever had a firm grasp on. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, we can, it's funny how we look at you gotta look at some of these stories under that lens. Like we take we take having so much content for Star Wars for granted nowadays. Where back in ninety seven, you didn't have that. You yeah, really different didn't. time. Especially when it came to kitty books. Like you didn't have like I know back in like the late nineties, early two thousands, you had a ton of kitty books. But back then they were I don't want to say they're few and far in between, but to have something that kind of took Star Wars this seriously wasn't an everyday thing where nowadays there's a new star wars book every month or yeah. almost every month and, and and nowadays the content is designed for anybody to read basically as long as you have like everything's like basically written at like an eighth grade reading level whereas back then you really had to kind of sit there like some of the stuff like oh good lord like you know the original thrawn trilogy isn't dense you really have to have a grasp on what star wars is as just I don't want you to be a student of the films, but you have to kind of know the intricacies of that. Cause even back then too, whereas now, like if you're reading a star Wars book today and they name some alien creature name, you have to, you can go into Google or Wikipedia mm-hmm. and type in, you'll know exactly what you're talking about. But back yeah. in 1997, you're eight years old reading this. You don't have the luxury of typing it into Google and saying, Oh, that's what a, a Shido looks like. Yep. I, uh, I actually, that was one of the things that I, I got why they were doing it, but in all these books, you know, as um, as descriptors of certain things or characters, there would be a few instances in each book where it'd be something like, this character, you know, oh, like Tash turned the corner, and she was looking right into the eyes of a Jabubu monster. And I was like, okay, I have no idea what that looks like, but okay. And, like, those instances, I didn't look them up, but it was like, I didn't know if that would be something that, like you said, back in 1997, people would even know. It's just kind of more of that set dressing, it seems. Yeah, and that's kind of where, like, nowadays when they write these books, the writers or the authors have everything at their fingertips. So, like, if they yeah. want it, like, like, what will happen is, like, they'll write a book, and I, I don't know this for certain, but based on some interviews I've read, like, once they've submitted, like, their first or second draft, the story group will go in there and plug in different aliens. Be like, okay, we want this alien here uh, because this. Like, 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 let's just use for example because I think I reviewed. Well, the episode went out a couple of weeks ago. I read the book a couple of months ago, like with Black Spire Outpost. It's like, oh, like the the the, the author. Like, okay, character or alien X Y is here, and then the story group will say, okay, we're gonna plug in. Uh, the Jabubu monster because we have another comic book about Galaxy's Edge and that character it shows up two days before the events of this book mm. and so everything taught there's this grand grand level yeah. of continuity that unless you take copious notes of it all you'll never really appreciate or unless you're just lucky enough to read all this stuff exactly or you okay. consume all the content and that's yeah. where and that's why with something like this the idea that you have a pre-empire strikes back boba fett where like who's trying to recruit boba fett to do some sort of job for him and boba fett's not is like not on your life mm-hmm. yeah oh that's right yeah the idea that boba fett wants to keep both sides open because he doesn't know who, what side he's playing for yeah and that's neat Especially back in, I think back in 97, you had a couple of the Tales of the Bounty Hunter books, which I never read any of those. But no, you did have that kind of out at the same time, give or take a couple of years as these books. Hmm. I'm remember, it's coming back to me. There's that small scene in City of the Dead where, what, Boba Fett and uh, Zack are like encountering the dead rising from the graves. And 
Boba Fett like what gets his helmet knocked off and yeah. Zach's and like Zach's something like I could just turn around and see the face of like the most notorious bounty hunter the galaxy's ever seen. And then he's like, and then Boba Fett put a blaster to the back of my head. <laughs> and and he Boba Fett's like, I'm gonna blow you away, kid, if you don't give me my damn helmet. And I was like, Whoa, this is this is actually interesting. That's that's the part of like that's the biggest takeaway I have of these books, like on the content level. Was like I know like to this like this is weird. I and, and Chris talked about it during the Triple Force Friday episode, but the people that have really latched on to Boba Fett. And as yeah. I like in Bo- Boba Fett's like really you have this weird sort of dichotomy in the Star Wars fan base where like on the surface everybody agrees Boba Fett is a fantastic design. Like as as the Star Wars equivalent of the man with no name, he's perfect. You couldn't make a better space cowboy than Boba Fett on a visual level. But the joke is always he's never done anything. Mm-hmm. Like we've never seen Boba Fett be a badass. On screen, yet in this, like as I was reading that book, I just kept saying to myself, kind of like a schoolgirl putting hearts around the like the of the boy I like in the yearbook, and I'm like, God, he's such a badass. <laughs> like he is so cool. Like, he is so goddamn cool. <laughs> and like you said, he does have these moments where like how he captured like the first time where he thinks he's captured Dr. Amazon, where he like kind of like takes off his armor and helmet and puts it like on a scarecrow. And yeah. Amazon's like, I just killed the most notorious bounty hunter in the galaxy. I have the death mark on 12 systems. And then like Boba Fett comes out of nowhere and just like blows a hole through Amazon. Yeah. Like, God, that's so effing cool. <laughs> I'm like, he's such a bit. Ba- then even like the very end of the book where they talk about like, um, where I forget, I forget who it is, whether it be DV, the droid or, or Tash is on the ship and they're like, Boba Fett's just there. It's like, you have two seconds to turn around and explain why Evazon's not in his grave. I'm like, and, and, oh, the best yeah. part, and this was also before Boba Fett was a clone. This is before, like Russ always says, before he became a Kiwi. Yep. It's like this, this wasn't the, the New Zealand Boba Fett. This was the very like gristled gruff voice sounding mm-hmm. what if he doesn't survive he's worth a lot to me like this is all before the special editions this is when boba fett was like the badass that just died because like he fired his jetpack at the wrong time because lucas hated the fact that Pete that the fans put boba fett on a pedestal for no reason <laughs> um but no but like even toward the end though we're even like like uh, uncle who's like did you give any thought to what i'm saying and he's like not nah, your life old man he's like and it says like in the description boba fett fired his jetpack and he was never seen again yeah. It's like, oh, he's such a, I, 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 oh God, I'm trying to think what's that movie where it's, oh God, the one character's like, he's such a, he's such a rebel. He's such a, he's such a heartthrob. And that's why I felt like, I'm like, God, he's so cool. Right like on. he is such a cool character. And the fact that to this day, Lucasfilm still does not know what to do with him as a character. Like I would love to go to Lucasfilm with the second book. And be like, you see this city of terror or city of the dead book right here. Make this, make a oh, story. Yeah. You forego all your stupid Luke Skywalker nonsense. Have a book where Doctor Evazon is doing some weird. Like, do Doctor Evazon as like Walter White? He's doing some weird ass experiments, like on some remote planet. Something weird's going down. Boba Fett somehow gets into the middle of all of it and realizes that Evazon is working for the Empire. You sprinkle in some Darth Vader for good measure to make sure you keep everybody happy. And you have Boba Fett be the protagonist. You make it, and I know this is everybody's low-hanging fruit for a Boba Fett film. You make it very Dread-esque. He never takes the helmet off. And if he does, you never see his face. And you make it Boba Fett is like all by himself on a planet filled with a bunch of creatures or whatever evil entities that he's got to get his way out of because there's 
an evil scientist invaders into some some capacity, and then something happens where Boba Fett solves the day, and he disintegrates all the creatures, including Evazon. In the very last shot of the movie, is Vader like getting off his shuttle, being like, "Well done, bounty hunter." But I don't want to see disintegrations ever again from you. And like Boba Fett gives him his card, and that's the end of the movie. Like there is a yeah. perfect making Star Wars horror film with Boba Fett as your protagonist and Doctor Evazon as your villain. And I know Doctor Ev- and this is one thing I do got. I'm not sure maybe if they did pull from these books because Doctor Evazon was in Star Wars a lot, um, both in Legends and in Canon. Oh, okay. But in but in in Rogue One. They say in the visual dictionary, because I think at some point in that movie, um, you see a character like walking around like it's a character that's decapitated, but it has some like device like on its like neck hole in in the visual dictionary. It says, you know, I'll pull it out right now, but it says something along the lines of like, oh, uh, there's been sightings of the evil Evazon on Ah. Jeddah. And I'm like, oh, so Evazon is still doing his like medical experiments. I uh, I think that whole idea of of making this a movie I think that would work out great I think that you know it'd be an interesting dynamic because I I thought Evazon was a, a good villain he was a goofy villain you know he was almost like to me he was very kind of an over the top Bond villain in the explanations and stuff like that and then there was some dialogue that he had that I thought was just bonkersly like bonkers and hilarious like um, I don't have the context written down but there's I'll, I'll quote right from the book. Evazon chuckled, true, but I'm the doctor, so I get to declare the time of death. <laughs> yeah. Like, I love that. And then there's what the other thing is he's trying to, like, perform his experiments on Zack. And he's like, before I, before the thing, the, these bugs eat your bone marrow away, I'm going to put you in a coma with this, like, this juice from these berries. And he says, <laughs> he says, that's it, Evazon cooed. Swallow the berry juice and it will all be over. And I'm like, this is great. I'm like, you know, we have the the bounty hunter is, like Zach said, the straight badass. And then the villain is a little more goofy and a little more kind of, you know, uh, eccentric to some extent. It was a great kind of pairing. It was awesome. Yeah, because in the... um... The Rogue One Visual Dictionary, because if everybody remembers, uh, Dr. Evazon and uh, Pontababu both show up in that. And they're, oh God, this was a very, like, this is like, this is, you get, this is talking about like, oh God, you are arm's length, or like, oh, oh God, elbows deep into Star Wars, like, continuity, was that there's this weird subplot going on in Rogue One that's, it's not in the movie at all, but it's like in a lot of the ancillary media where there was this bounty hunter character named. Tam Posla, that I think is featured in a couple of the comics, where Tam Posla was some sort of like vigilante bounty hunter that was sent to go looking for, oh God, what's it say? These reports resemble a rational, okay. Tam Posla, an interstellar lawman representing the Milvane Authority, Posla has voyaged well beyond his jurisdiction. He is investigating claims of kidnapping, forced servitude, and surgical alteration of victims from the streets of Jeddah. These reports resemble a rash of crimes on Milvane attributed to a pair of visiting spacers using the, suspect, using the suspected aliases of Rufu and Saki. <laughs> Though Posla has been taken off the case by his superiors, he is determined to bring these heinous criminals to justice. And then, like on the other page, it shows like one of the like decapitated people, and I think even you see another one of these mm. decapitated characters in uh, Solo. There are servants of uh, Dryden Voss. Oh, okay. 
So there is, so they are, again, uh, Evazon being somebody who like, oh God, mutilates people isn't exclusive to this book, but it is an element of his character that is fleshed out here. And it's, it's fun to see that sort of thing carried forward, which again, the idea of having a Boba Fett movie, like forget about the Mandalorian for a second. Like, yeah, I still think it is folded in all Boba Fett stories into the Mandalorian, but the idea of having that, I think is just such fertile ground for your first star Wars. Like, I don't want to say horror movie. Cause I think that's a very specific thing, mm-hmm. but your first star Wars thriller. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, if you're if you're gonna do new Star Wars, but you're gonna keep if you are gonna like pull in older characters and you make it you make it take place over the span of one day, so it mm-hmm. doesn't affect continuity. It doesn't it doesn't interfere with that, and other than just sprinkling in your just enough fan service to keep the man babies happy. It's like there you go. Like that's not so hard. Like I, I feel like if Rob and I were given what Rob, how much money would we ask for uh, writing this movie? Uh, I don't know. What's sort of donation? Million? Fifteen million? <laughs> Fifteen million. Okay. <laughs> um, whatever sort of donation we need for the Cinemati, we want the Cinemati's restaurant replacing the Rainforest Cafes at the Disney theme parks. <laughs> yeah. We want we want a uh, satellite or a uh, franchise there. That's what we want, and we're, we'll write the Boba Fett thriller movie. Okay. Okay. I get behind that. We're gonna do that right now, folks. We're gonna a year from now, next uh, Monstobra on Knights of Vader. <laughs> we are going to pitch that version of the movie. Yeah, we're gonna do a um a, a reading. We'll get all the actors together, you know. <gasps> yeah, <laughs> we'll, get, we'll we'll get the original voice actor of Boba Fett. None of this uh, Tamora Morrison nonsense. There we go. Yeah, nice, nice indeed. <laughs> but yeah, no, most of these books, like I can, I know Rob gave me a very specific rating, so I'm just gonna give random numbers and then just tell what my thoughts on them were. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm gonna give the first book a six point six. Um, I again, it's a, it's a cannibal story. It's yeah. our characters afraid of being eaten. And it's a fun little twist, the fact that the plant's the one that's eventually going to eat them all. And, that, and that's a nice way to have them kind of like marooned. Like, I get it. And I think in, even the interview that John Whitman, the author of all these, was saying was that he never liked horror stories where the characters could always just run another way and, and be, oh, God, mm-hmm. uh, avoid the, the issue. He loved the idea of them being trapped somewhere where that, was, that wasn't a solution. Um, I think that's fine. Perfectly serviceable. Like I said, I love the second book. I love. I plus I just like the whole idea of having it very uh, a very macabre story. I even though these movies, uh, movies, even though all these books are all very have spooky undertones, I don't think any of them are as macabre as the second book is. Definitely, yeah. The the buried alive stuff. Yep. Yeah, that's that's a very specific thing. Um, the, the goo monsters. I kind of hated that. I I did not like the goo monsters book. Um, that was dumb. Yeah, that made no sense to me. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was so confused. <laughs> I remember as I was reading that, because every book, like Rob said, has like its little cameos from pre-established characters. And oh, when, yeah. Who and is when, Wedge Antilles? I need to know. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. Okay. And as they're like, because I was waiting for this, being like, okay, we already had Boba Fett. We've had Luke Leia and Han. Um, I think at that point, I know I knew Lando was showing up later on yeah. in, in a later book. And I know that Vader was on the cover of, I think, the last book. And so I'm like, okay, who are they putting in here? And I'm like, and they're like, okay, it's because they first introduced him, like, oh, he looks like, like he talks about being, I think Tosh says, oh, he looks like he's a pilot, or he mentions that. And I'm like, rebel pilot. And I'm like, oh, if you only, there's only one rebel pilot, and it's Wedge and Tilly. If you're talking about rebel pilot that's not Luke Skywalker, it's Wedge and Tilly's. Okay. And, Wedge, and Rob, I'm, I'm so shocked that you don't know Wedge and Tilly's. Wedge and Tilly's was, was the one that was um, part of Luke's trench run. In the first Star Wars, the one that doesn't get bloated up, 
Oh, not big okay. Dark Lighter. And then Wedge, Wedge is in. Um, I don't know. If, I don't know if Dennis Lawson's in Empire. I know he's referenced. I don't think we get a full shot of. I think we get one or two shots of Wedge in Empire um, during the Battle of Hoth. And then he he lead, other than Lando Calrissian, he leads the uh, the uh, the battle on the Death Star in Return of the Jedi. Okay. Okay. But he's only. But again, he's in it for like a, a handful of shots. <laughs> okay. Most of the, most of them behind an X wing. See, folks, this is where you know Rob isn't the most hardcore Star Wars fans. It's when he's asking, uh, "Oh God, he's asking like day one questions, like who's Wedge and Tellys?" Yeah, I forgot him completely. I, I guess Wedge, when you described it from the first movie, because he says Wedge, I think the name is said right. The Antilles it's, is what I didn't remember. I guess that's what was throwing me off. Well, because you also have the thing too that you have Captain Antilles, who's the captain of the Tanta V four, the blockade runner. Oh geez, no relation. <laughs> yep, I had, I did not remember that in the slightest. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, you have all that though. Oh, yeah, the guess- third the third book was also another uh, something literary that made me angry was one paragraph ends with Tash finding out that the blobs are infected people, like this is a virus, the, the plague at, from the title. And then the next paragraph starts with the phrase, as Tash made this frightening discovery. Like, uh, I love that the book thinks that it needs to tell us that this is the frightening part of the story. <laughs> it's like, really? This was this was frightening? And it's like, oh, God, come on. <laughs> yeah, that's, hey, yeah, there are some clunky moments in this. And to be fair, in the interview I was reading with John Whitman, he does say that when it came to this series, he was working on at any given time, three of the books simultaneously, like he was revising one, writing another one, and planning out the next one all. At okay, once. okay. So he'd so he'd be writing like the third book while editing the second book, and then trying to figure out what the fourth, outlining the fourth one. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he was doing that for all twelve of these. Like he said at one point, like he didn't sleep for like as he was writing the third book. And I find this very telling. He didn't sleep for forty eight hours straight, and he's never read it since. He read it <laughs> once, and he never read it again. And he said he gave some interview. He gave some like he did some appearance at like a middle school, like back like I think in the nineties. And he said that like the third book's my least favorite. And like half the like the group raised their hand like that's my favorite. He's like I'm so happy, but I'm never going to read it again. <laughs> right so on. I think it's so I think it's very telling that we both agree that the third one is the weakest. Oh yeah, yep. And the author admits that's when they're like their lowest points, kind of like J.K. Rowling when like for Order of the Phoenix, where she's like, I had writer's block through all of this, none of it makes any sense, and I openly admit it. <laughs> so it's nice to have uh, an author be so candid. Um, the fourth book, I I did not like the fourth book either. Like like we kind of talked about, it gives away its its twist, like third into the book um the lando stuff is fun but to be fair it kind of falls into the trope that rob and i have complained about a lot on cinematis where it's like oh it was all a dream or oh technically that never happened yeah where it's like well yep. you just wasted my time like, all that character development goes right out the window because we can't attribute it to that specific character anymore mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah that kind of i like the epilogue where it's like lando's leaving and it's like lando calls his ship and it this book literally calls says he has a space yacht i love yeah. that <laughs> it's like of course he has a space yacht and that's what they would call it <laughs> yeah and then like they're like oh where are you going to next lando oh i heard about a tibinium uh, uh reserve up in the clouds somewhere yeah yeah it's like why don't you just say lando would later go on to be the administrator of bespin 
Lando will return in <laughs> Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> pretty much. I did okay. like uh, I did like that they have him say his line where it's like, I did have this pretty big move at the Battle of Tanab. I love that they oh, actually yeah. they used his little line from Return of the Jedi. I like that they just, you know, that's a plug-in element. I get it. I can see that. But I did like that. My little move at the Battle of Tanab. So the, the fourth book is also where it is revealed that the scientist's name, the evil scientist's name, is Borborygmus Gog. Yes. Did you know what Borborygmus meant before I told you? No, Rob. I'm Are a filthy familiar? casual okay. when it comes to these sort of terms. <laughs> when it comes to Borborygmus. So Borborygmus is the scientific name for when your stomach rumbles. Seriously. And he's the name of this character is spelt the same way as the technical term. So it's not like he was even playful with it. So... When I saw this, I, I just lost it because I was like, you know, this is like me naming my child Peristalsis. Like, it's just it's just something your body does. It's not a name. It's it's just, it's a biological term. And so I, I was kind of blown away by that. But then I started to think about it. And I was kind of like, well, why does your stomach rumble? And your stomach either rumbles because you're digesting something or because you're hungry for something. Like, at least that's when my stomach rumbles. I don't know. Everybody's probably different. Maybe someone's stomach rumbles when... Uh, it's going to rain in a few hours. So I, I was kind of thinking about this, and I was like, what is what is being said here? Like, our main villain's name is Borborygmus. It is Stomach Rumbles. And with everything we said about these books, I'm kind of convinced now that this is the author's way of saying, this is vacuous. There is no oh, nutrition geez. in these books. So all your stomach is going to do while you're consuming them is grumble because you're waiting for something of substance. The other side of that also, you know, of course, could be that it's like he's the villain. He's consuming things. So or maybe not he's consuming things. He's doing these negative things in the universe that are shaking up the story for our main characters that are rumbling the uh, the main characters and the business they're trying to go about. So I don't know. It could be taken different ways, but never, never in my life have I seen this as a, oh. as a name. Borborygmus. <laughs> Go figure, folks. Yep. Yeah, I, I guess I, I, I think the John Whitman was probably so exhausted that he just plugged in any element that was just easy. It is a fun word. If you don't know what Borborygmus is, it could be like that. Sounds like it could be some, you know, science fiction or medieval fantasy name, like Lord Borborygmus type of thing. So I, I get it. That might have been the attraction, but, but it definitely has a meaning. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody doubts that. Crazy crazy <laughs> so he's gonna he's definitely gonna be in our boba fett thriller right as a cameo oh, yeah. or something <laughs> oh yeah definitely uh, but yeah that's yeah that was i guess, that sort of thing i know rob was very like, folks you should see the text message i got that night like he was mad <laughs> it's, it's, i yeah i got i got yeah WTF, I, <laughs> I got a wtf carly beth from that yeah yeah that oh god yeah that was a, a visceral reaction <laughs> Oh yeah. Um, again, I think the ne my second favorite was the Ghost of the Jedi because it does mm -hmm. lean into a lot of that, like really like Star Wars mythology that's easily digestible. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't think I've ever told this story before. The thing about the character that Rob described is uh, Aiden Bach, yeah, who's our Ghost Jedi. Spoiler alert in that book in the fifth book. I, I wrote him down as a Limbo Jedi. Limbo, Purgatory Jedi. Yeah, yeah, something like that. He's yeah, because <laughs> Tash I, was the only one who could see him, right? I did, I I couldn't tell if he was like a full on Force ghost or like he was just no, trying because it seemed like he was trying he was trying to manifest himself in some way. Well, that's the thing that like I know Lucasfilm gets its like panties in a wad with something like this now because they've made the ability. Because again, when this was written, 
you did have Force Ghost, uh, Anakin Skywalker. And I know over time it became a thing in Star Wars that not just everybody could become a Force Ghost. Okay. And you had to have very, very specific training and be highly disciplined in order to be a Force Ghost. And this was well before that. So the idea of him manifesting, I would imagine if George Lucas saw this, he would not agree with that. That'd be something that he probably would have thrown out okay, okay. if he actually had to look at this or vet it to his liking. But the thing that made me, like, and this has always been one of those things I found fascinating about Star Wars. And going back to my point earlier was that one of my first instances of when I was younger of Star Wars content that was not specific to the movies was the Star Wars, the Clone Wars video game for PlayStation, Xbox, and GameCube. Oh, okay. And I remember when that came out, so I think it was the first video game that I ever beat from start to finish. But at that point, every game I'd ever played, I just kind of like started it, like played maybe like a couple hours, get frustrated, and just never got, I never played it again. And that was the first game. So it really had kind of like an impact on me. And I remember at one point in that game, Anakin has to do something. He's on the planet of Renvar. And every time we get a new Star Wars snow planet, I'm always hoping that's Renvar. And I'm disappointed every single time that it's not Renvar. <laughs> but that's that's neither here nor there. And he goes into like a Jedi crypt. And there's a tomb. And above the tomb, and I, I again, I haven't played that game God, in like 15 plus years Is a hologram Appears of a Jedi And I'm probably not pronouncing the name right I guess I should look it up Is Okay, let me make sure I get the name right It's one of the, it, it's a Star Wars name His, The character's name is Ulick Keldroma and I remember that like, I remember that was like a big thing in the game. And it's like Anakin had to learn the power to combat the Dark Reaper project from only one previous Jedi who'd ever been able to resist its power or whatever the terminology was. Okay. And then I remember I remember just being like, oh, neat. I was how old at the time? Ten years old. I'm like, whatever, you'll kill Droma, whatever. And then many years later I looked it up, and you'll kill Droma is like this character. That like was in like dozens upon dozens of like comic books, like uh, books, like mm -hmm. his Wikipedia entry. Like I'm on it right now. I just keep scroll like scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. <laughs> like I honestly cannot list all the times that character has shown up in Star Wars. Oh capacity. wow! Okay. Ever since then, I've always hoped that like anytime they have a random like Jedi character, that's like. Like mystical, like spooky Star mm -hmm. Wars stuff, that it's the same equivalent. So when I saw the character of Aiden Bach, I'm like, oh, maybe he's something that like showed up in something else. And I type his name in the Wikipedia, and he only showed up in this book. And he's <laughs> mentioned in one of the latter six books of the series. Oh, and I'm like, okay. well, I guess nobody thought he was important. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's why I. I that was one of the things I was like, should I know this person or is there a chance I'd know him? But interesting. He was completely just created for this. He was a disposable character. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he uh, he was good once he finally like that. This book definitely gets moving once he uh, like can talk to Tash. But all the stuff in the beginning where she's the only one that can see him or him trying to manifest himself. And there's there's like two or three scenes that are just, you know, so cliche where it's like, go, 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 ghost. And everybody's like, what are you talking about, Tash? There's no one else here. And I'm like, this is just as bad as it follows. Oh, there's someone coming to get me. No, there's not. Yes, there is. No, there's not. Let's run. And I was like, come on. But then once once he's there and it's like, let's 
this is the, this is the deal. This is how we stop Gog. I'm like, finally, you know, give me something that isn't just supposedly suspense. Yeah. That's what I like. You do have, you have some mystery going on there. Cause you do have the idea of like, Oh, you have all this Jedi knowledge. Everybody's assumed that, okay, you have this giant resource that nobody's tapped into for all these years. And it all turns out to be a farce. That it's just where they have a uh, books explode on opening. Is that what it is? Yeah, the the book like when it when it's opened, it, it like bursts into a flash of light and steals your life force. Yes, the book steals your soul. <laughs> much like much like video cameras, the book steal your soul. Yes, yes, definitely. I think Rob can agree to that. Um, yeah, and that's kind of like because you do have. There's one part of that fifth book though that's kind of weird where you have. Um, Oh, don't they have another shape-shifting like assassin character that shows up very briefly and then just literally walks out of the book? Remember that part? Where, I, like, yeah, I think so. Because Vader wants the kids dead, but Gog wants them alive, and it's a subplot that's very subtly introduced, and then it's resolved completely out of nowhere for really the most part. And they're like, "Oh, you shot like the elderly woman. Why did you do that?" Because I was hired to keep you alive. Oh, what? yeah. And, 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 and the two kids go, what? And then the character goes, what? And he just walks away. And it's like, oh, that's it. Yeah, that was uh, the, the guy who kills him is Danik Jericho, Joe Camel. Oh, uh, that's yeah. okay. Yeah, and he's like, he because he's the one, because at the start of that book is when they're at Jabba's palace. And Hul is like, how do we find the rebels? And they're like, go to this Nespus 8 place. And then they see Joe Camel at, Jabba's palace and then they see him again at Nespa State and they're like didn't we just see you and he's oh, like yeah I'm god. a treasure hunter type of thing oh god Rob Rob I showed my uh, star oh god Rob I'm a Star Wars filthy casual you know who Joe Camel Danic Jericho is who he's the guy from the, the cantina in New Hope that's smoking like the not okay not the pipe but he's he, sucking he's sucking really? the vape yeah oh. you'll know you'll know you'll know who I'm talking about here <laughs> Here, yeah, here. Let me. Okay, folks, you're hearing this in real time. Well, let me pull up my my eighty thousand billion K version. Can we watch okay. that one? <laughs> here, here, Rob. You can see. You know this character. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's him. Yeah, that's, that's Joe Camel. That's Joe Camel. <laughs> kind of looks like Joe Camel now that you look at him. Danic Joe Camel Jericho. <laughs> God, Rob, we're such star. Oh God, I was making fun of you for not knowing who Wedge and Tilly's was, and I don't even know all my. Uh, cast of characters from the cantina oh. folks i apologize <laughs> you are listening to a third rate you really are listening to a third rate podcast star wars podcast right now <laughs> god damn it of Joe course <laughs> that's great okay where's danic jericho i want to see okay what the hell has he been up to he's apparently a thousand years old <laughs> 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 there's, I think there's even more good Joe Campbell jokes in there. <laughs> He's been, okay, in Legends, he was in a bunch of things. A handful of things, not a bunch, a handful of things. Is he, like, an assassin? Is he a bounty hunter? What's his... Is he a, a cigarette salesman? Like, what's his, <laughs> is his Star Wars, you know, career path? According to, to canon... It says Jericho was a oh he's not even listed as Danic Jericho he's just Jericho in canon now. Okay. Jericho was a male mutant human bureaucrat. Okay, I guess he's no longer a bounty hunter. On the day <laughs> that Luke Skywalker met Han in the cantina, most Eisley, he offered his services to were to kill Doctor Amazon, but before he could do anything, Kenobi took care of both him and and his associate himself. 
Where the hell did that come up in conversation? Where the hell was that in, in any? Oh, yeah. <laughs> God. Okay, folks. Tangent time. Ooh. That stupid goddamn from a certain point of view book. That's where this comes from. I I reviewed that book two years ago, and I still I said it then, and I'll say it again. That book is the worst thing that's ever happened to Star Wars. That book filled in so many random gaps that didn't need to be oh, filled in. Okay. It just filled things in for the sake of filling them in, and it makes me mad. Oh, that's where this thing came from, was that stupid book. Because, yeah, he only has four appearances. He's in, oh, God, uh, A New Hope. Mm-hmm. The the graphic novel of the original trilogy, which that's not going to fill in anything, <laughs> and um, he's in a, a mobile strategy game, which most of those don't have any sort of narrative. But the last thing is, we don't serve their kind here from a certain point of view. Okay. Oh yuck! God, I hate that book so much. You know what? The worst thing is they're going to do that again for the Empire Strikes Back next year. They're they're going to do another mm-hmm. one of those. Oh, I get you. They so they. Anniversary style yeah. type of thing is what. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. for the fortieth anniversary of Empire, they're gonna do that. Yeah. Oh yuck! Oh, don't Lucasfilm, don't do that. Don't make, don't make. That's the book where Boba. Fett, that's the only canon appearance Boba Fett has. Well, I know he's in the comics, but that's one of the few canon appearances Boba Fett has made post Disney sale, and it's so like it is the robot chicken incarnation of the character. <laughs> that's oh, it, it's it's written exactly that way, and from what I've heard in the audio book, John Cam voices him. Okay. Which makes no sense whatsoever, considering that he's supposed to have Tamora Morrison's voice. Again, it makes no sense at all. But he, it, it, John Hamm's reading of it is very similar to how he's done in the Robot Chicken specials. Ah, uh, gotcha. Where he's just this overly cocky character for no mm-hmm. other reason than just like, oh, isn't Boba Fett stupid as a character? Jeez. <laughs> yeah. We don't want that. In, in the movie Rob and I are writing, we're not going to have that version of the character. Definitely. Yeah, the way you said it with like the Dread-type structure— Yes, that's Folks, what you should expect more of. Knights of Vader doesn't doesn't condone book burnings, but if you happen to be like <laughs> lighting a fire and you don't have any kindling, but you do have a copy of it from a certain point of view, we would not be against you using that to start your fire. <laughs> nice. Yeah, don't, don't read that book. Please don't read that book. That's the I, I had to go back. I think I complained a lot during that book. There's a couple of there's a couple of good stories in that book, but I have like forty different stories. Most of them are horrible. Uh, okay. Because one of the stories in that book is the thing that Zenger always said that like the R the the R five droid from from the the Sandcrawler, like him and R two have like a heart to heart. R 2s like, no, I have to go with three PO. My destiny counts on all this. And R five <laughs> like deliberately like falls on his sword and has a bad motivator just so R two could be purchased by oh, Lars family. Okay, it's horrible. Like it is like you. I, I would imagine much like how Rob got mad at Gog's name. It'd be a bunch of angry text messages. Like, Why are they doing this? Everything okay. about this is wrong. Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a bad book. Outside of a handful of stories, which if you want to know the good ones, go listen to the episode from two years ago. Um, then the last book, like I said, the last book is very anticlimactic. Um, one thing I was disappointed by in the last book is that I hate the fact that they get Doctor Evazon's ship, and yeah. I thought and I thought that was a really nifty idea, having the characters like fly around in this like this evil character ship, and then it gets destroyed. I'm like, well. Easy come, easy go, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Lasted him for, uh, what, three books? <laughs> Pretty much. And it's like, well, time to get a new ship. Well, okay then. So there was a, there was, uh, there was a, an exchange of dialogue in the last book that I wanted to know if you, if you caught on. Because uh, 
I think it's one of our favorite phrases that we haven't said to each other in a little bit, Zach, but it's it's in a conversation when they first get to the planet Kiva between Hul and Tash. And so here we go. Uncle Hul, she asked, is it possible that there's something still alive here? No, Hul said definitely. Every living thing on Kiva died. But I thought I saw something. A trick of the light, the Shido interrupted. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, Rob. Rob. How could I not catch? Oh, I love that. I was like laughing out loud in my apartment. And I read, I read this because, oh, it, it's everything. That's how you should use a trick of the light. But I thought I, it's a trick of the light. <laughs> Rob, do you want to explain why that is so important to us? Oh, of course, so uh, we can get the musical sting in here. In the movie Annihilation... (laughs) Our main characters go into the Shimmer, which is some crazy place, and uh, they find a videotape, or I guess a recorder, handheld recorder, that they can watch what was videotaped by the last expedition that went into the Shimmer. And what they see on this videotape is people uh, holding down one of the men and someone else cutting the man's stomach open, revealing that his intestines were replaced or are shrouded by basically giant worms. Looks like he just has a bunch of eels moving around in his body. And so our main characters are watching this on the recorder, and they freak out, and they're like, oh my god, what was that? And it was like, what was wrong with them? And one of the characters goes, it was a trick of the light. I've been an EMT for years. You see some weird stuff. That was a trick of the light. That was fun. I saw that. I, I did laugh. I, it's like, uh, yeah. From now That's on, the folks, best form of denial. When you are in denials about anything, say it's just a trick of the light when someone tries to confront you on your denial. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying, Rob, was that Alex Garland was inspired by uh, Army of Terror, book six of the Galaxy of Fear series. Yeah, yeah. Just like It Follows was inspired by the other one I mentioned. Oh, yeah, these are these are, you know, they flew under the radar just enough. Like we said about Fantastic Planet where, you know, people could take from them and build upon these ideas. Yeah, that was fun. I like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. That stood out to me hardcore. It was great. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. Is that, like, the, the books are cute. Um, I have no idea if we'll ever go back and do the latter half of the series. Maybe. Maybe I, next, maybe next uh, month's over. Maybe. Like I said, I did look a little bit into the other ones. Like we said, they just kind of jump around. Um some of them seem interesting. The seventh book is about Tash's brain getting switched with the brain in a, a Biomar monk. And I was like, oh, oh really? Yeah, because they have to go back to Jabba's palace for some reason. Uh, like Zach said, Thrawn is in book eight. Uh, literally for book nine, the only thing I wrote, the only thing I wrote is the ninth book is Spore. And I didn't write anything else down. Um, the tenth book is do oh, the tenth book is Doomsday Ship. And I found a, a lot of these have some scant. The information on them is very scant and scarce, and so you know I didn't want to read them. And so I found a summary of the Doomsday Ship on Wikipedia that I thought was just mind blowing. So here we go. This this is it. There's nothing else on the Wikipedia page uh, on the summary except this. Hool decides that the best way to get to Dantooine would be through the luxury cruise ship Star of Empire. Whilst on board, they meet Dash Rendar, and Zack meets a computer called oh, Sin. No. An emergency warning sounds, and everyone escapes the ship except Zack, Tash, Dash, Rendar, Captain Hodge, and some of his crew. The alarms stop, but there is no explosion. The captain and all his crewmen get killed. Sim makes Zack think it is Malik, the person who made him, 
whereas it is Sim, and they manage to escape. Yay. It literally says yay. Yeah. <laughs> so the last two sentences of that, assume you already read the book, because it does not describe anything. Like, oh, it was great. I loved it. It's, it's like the worst entry I've ever read for a summary of something. <laughs> I think someone needs to add like a little annotation there, like on Wikipedia, like this information, like what this section needs to be cleaned up. <laughs> yes, the uh, the eleventh book is Clones, and this one actually apparently ha- is like the most notable of the series from what I read because it involves oh. Darth Vader fighting a Darth Vader clone. Of course, and so people like that. And then uh, <laughs> the, the last book is The Hunger, which takes place on Dagobah, and they find Yoda. Of course. And um, then uh, it ended. I think it's somewhere they t- they go into like the the dark side tunnel or something. That's how they they end the book or something like that. I read. Ah, okay. Why not? Yeah. So yeah, I don't know if I want to read those ever, <laughs> but uh, we'll see. I didn't these, think those out. So those these are your options for next month's over, Rob. You either have to read the latter series or uh, Death we have Troopers, to write a, or we have to write a screenplay. Well, that too. <laughs> no, it's actually like no. That's definite. Yeah, <laughs> that's a side. You know what? The other thing is requ- the screenplay is required. The other stuff is kind of like you get your choice. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, absolutely. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, apparently, though, I was reading in the same article. I guess I'll link to it in the show notes. Is that in the uh, interview with John Whitman? They asked him about like, oh, like, did you ever need to get permission about like who you could include, like Luke, Leia, Vader? And he goes, all that was me. Once I got the approval for cameos, I started working in people who I want to see. I want to be the kind of thing where an adult can read the books to their kids and there'd be some hooks. Moments of pleasure recognizing the author had thrown in this character the parents knew. The only moment I had to get approved by Lucasfilm prior to submitting a draft was when I got to kill Dr. Evazon. It got kicked up all the way to George Lucas and he said, quote, fine. (laughs) <laughs> Except for that one thing, as long as I stuck inside the basic lifeline of the character, I could do whatever I wanted. Fine. That that is a perfect George Lucas question. Be like, Mr. Lucas, Mr. Lucas, John Whitman wants to kill off Dr. Evazon. Is that okay? And just Lucas looks around trying to figure out who who's Evazon. <laughs> fine. I, I pictured that it like he was in the middle of eating something and he's like, Oh, oh yeah. Fine. He's like, fine. <laughs> He's like, leave me alone, fine. <laughs> I'm pretty sure most of the executive decisions made by Lucas like during that time include the phrase, fine. That's so funny. Looking around, figuring out who Amazon is, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> oh, God. I, guess, I imagine Lucas is one of these people just being like stupid goddamn nerds. It's like, go, go get a life. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but yeah, I found that funny. Apparently, there was like some talk of the same author doing like a fairy tale, like Star Wars version of fairy tales, mm-hmm. and it would be like Leia reading um, fairy tales to her oh, yeah. son and okay. daughter, Jason and Jaina Solo. Interesting, hey, Rob. You want to know the difference between uh, Jason Solo and Kylo Ren? Is name exactly <laughs> same character. That's one that I've always found fascinating that nobody really brings up at all when it comes to the sequel trilogy. That in canon, Jason Solo was like a pupil of Luke Skywalker's. His, ne- his nephew got disillusioned by what Luke was doing, <laughs> left, killed, killed Luke Skywalker's wife, Mara Jade, and eventually do- he takes on the title of Darth Cadus. Does all these like horrible like dark things, and I think eventually he dies because Jaina kills him. 
And it's a very similar setup to what Kylo Ren is. And it's amazing. I have all the complaints about the rise of uh, uh, Force Awakens in The Last Jedi. Nobody brings up the fact that they ripped off essentially the, char- yeah. the same character. Yeah. <laughs> and just changed the name. Self plagiarism. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm just shocked that like nobody brings that up. It's like a cra- like again, considering that we attacked the Last Jedi for everything, that's the one thing that it's like, oh, that's fine. We're not gonna bring that up. The next, uh, the next party I'm at, I'll bring that up, Zach. Good, good. <laughs> the what's Halloween the deal party with, I go to. What's the Who deal you, with Jason Solo? Who are you dressed as, Kylo Ren? No, Jason Solo. <laughs> I know in the series finale of Rebels, Hera, uh, Hera in Oh god, what's his name? Kanan's love child is named Jason, spelt the exact same way. And I've always taken that as like a giant F you to the people that loved like the legends, like all the old canon stuff, like the legends, mm-hmm. the EU. I've always taken that as a giant F you. Like, oh, we, we made this character that you love so much that it's like a representation of everything that can never come back because it directly conflicts with what they're doing. Mm-hmm. We named it a character that will never like really never highlight ever again. Man, yeah, good old Star Wars. (laughs) Yeah, that's one one thing too. Is everybody complains about like lying, like uh, Ryan Johnson, like treating the man babies poorly on Twitter, and it's like, folks, Star Wars has always been like had a layer of contempt between the creators and the fans. It's always been that way. (laughs) There's always going to be a layer of like disdain for the audience with Star Wars. It's 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 there. You're never going to remove it. You're, you're, You're you're it's best just to accept it. And just I hope do. they don't make it that point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, with that being said, Rob, is there anything else about Galaxy of Fear that you want to discuss? I did have some, uh, there were a few questions that I think you could answer. And there was a few things that were described in the book about Star Wars that I had never thought of. And I wanted to um, pitch you right before that. It w- I would be remiss if I did not bring this up. It's not It's not negative. I know when I start saying it, Zach, you're going to think it's negative, but it's not negative. It's actually something I I hated at first, but when I did the research, it it is actually something good these books did. In the first book, when they're introducing the droid character, DV9. Oh, no. no. Like I said, Zach, it's not going to be negative. (laughs) I quote, DV9 says he can calculate and record 10 million bits of information about alien cultures per second. 10 million bits is 1.25 megabytes, which is (sighs) nothing. Which is absolutely nothing. But I had the realization, like we talked about when looking at these books in the lens of Star Wars before the prequels, this was probably being written in 1996. So I figured, what is the most comparable thing to a droid collecting or calculating recording information? I'm thinking the droid plugs in somewhere, like R2-D2 does, and you know downloads the information. So I looked into what was a really high-end internet download speed in 1996. So remember... DV can do 1.25 megabytes a second, and in 1996, if you had a good setup, you would get .0042 megabytes <laughs> per second. So good on this dude. I'm sure John Whitman just picked 10 million out of nowhere because that sounds good, but that's an actual good processing speed for a futuristic droid, as this book is presenting it to be. So, so they did something right for once with the droids. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, now, today, you know, Clearly, if you when we read this today, it's like 10 million bits. He gets 1.25 megs a second. Yeah. And it's like, I, <laughs> I have a rectangle in my pocket that does like that in nanoseconds. <laughs> okay, so I had to bring that up. Also in the first book, this was, uh, I have two questions from the first book. They mention that 
hyperspace is an alternate dimension. Is that like canon in Star Wars? Is that true? Because of course, every sci-fi needs to explain their their fast travel, whether it's, you know, they fold space-time, whether it's they find how to go fast in the speed of light. Is Star Wars really they go into a different dimension? I I forget what I was reading recently. And they explain light speed. I don't think it's explained that way. I don't think that's the way they would explain it now. Okay. Um, it's always because I know the big thing now with Lucasfilm is coaxium and just like light speed fuel. Like they, they've made they, they're really kind of like deconstructing the science of twine light speed. Light, light speed's always been one of those things where fans have been like, well, if Leia, like the end of Rogue One, like, well, if Leia and the Tantive V4 leaves here, how did this happen? At what time does this happen? Blah, 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 blah. And light speed's always been one of those things that it's just a way to get the characters from locale A to, to B. It's never yeah, been. It's, yeah. it's 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 not designed it's to the, be. It's the plot sign. device. Yeah, yeah. It's a plot device to allow drama to unfold in between the action. So it's like, oh, we have to go to this planet. It doesn't matter whether the planets are across the galaxy or they're right next to each other. Like, I think there's a line of dialogue in Attack of the Clones where um, they see Obi Obi Wan sending the message about the droid factories on uh, Geonosis, and uh, the Council's watching, and Anakin and Padme are watching. And it's like uh, Mace Windu says, Anakin, stay put with Padme. And Padme's like, it'll take them halfway across. It'll take them. They're halfway across the galaxy. It's going to take them forever to get to Geonosis. We're right there. And Geonosis and, and Tatooine are like on top of each other. Um, it's, it's, I wouldn't describe it that way. I don't think they would describe it the way this book describes it. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's, it, I know, I think recently they've, they've gone further into deconstructing it. Um, but I, I don't think it's ever meant to be taken seriously. I think if it is gotcha. ever discussed, it's meant to appease nerds in the audience. <laughs> okay. And, and, and the same amount of nerds it appeases, it's going to anger another sort. So Exactly. Yeah. I, 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 that sentence or the that uh, paragraph that described that in the book made me think. It's like, oh, I've never really thought about how that works in Star Wars. But okay. It's just, you know, it, it's, it suits the purpose for the story. And they'll explain it with whatever they need to explain it with. Yeah, good old Star okay. Wars. Gobbledygook sci-fi nonsense. So also in this book, uh, I guess we didn't mention, like uh, one of the antagonists in this book, since we don't really have Borberg, Gog, or Evazan, it's Smada the Hut. Yes. So it, it is Smada, right? S-M-A-D-A. That's in your copy of the book as well? Yes. Okay, on the Wikipedia page for Galaxy of Fear Eaten Alive, the entire plot summary, which is actually pretty detailed, calls him Shada <laughs> with an H. Oh, really? So I think we have some prime uh, corrections to make on Wikipedia for oh, Knights geez. of Vader, Zach. But, oh, jeez. So there's, in like kind of the climax, when the planet's like eating a bunch of people, and I think Smada is trying to capture Zach and Tash to get Hul to do something for him, something like that. Smada the Hut gets angry, and the book states, The mighty Hut rose up to his full height, balancing himself on the tip of his thick body. What? image should i be getting from this like is he standing up like an ice cream cone like on his like what what does this mean i was what's full height i would say instead of being like laid out like I, i've always taken jabba's uh posture as like very caligula-esque whereas i would imagine oh. like a slug i i, I forget what jabba's species is specifically um Hutties, I don't know, would be like kind of like, like a cobra, almost like a snake, like bouncing, like oh, like he's like he's walking in the special edition or whatever version of New Hope when Han talks to him after the. Um, uh, I I because then I, he's like he's like slugging along in that scene, right? That's yeah, but that's remember this was this is before that though. Oh, true, true, true. 
So I don't know. I've all how I envisioned that was very like King Cobra esque. Okay. 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 I could see that. But the the, uh, the the use of the phrase "balancing himself on the tip of his thick body" made me think that it like sprung up at the end of his tail, and I was like, "What?" Well, probably something <laughs> close to that. Probably very, something very similar to that. That's so weird to me. I've never okay. thought about a hut doing that. You know, every time I've seen the huts, they just lie around and have to be, and then the baby baby ones have to be carried half the time. You know. Wow. Well, come on! Can we Crazy. have so much? Chi- can we have so much chicken hotlet parmesan? <laughs> that I, I was so confused when I read that. I was like, "What should I be imagining?" <laughs> okay, yeah. that was yeah, that was weird. Um, that was it for the first book. Uh, the second book I wanted to ask, since I had you know Zach had more of the official copies. There's a few spots in City of the Dead where, instead of using um in dialogue, you know, when characters talking, they'll throw an um for pause in there. They use urn, u r n. Is that in your book as well? I don't remember off the top of my head. I'd, okay, have, to, I, I'd have to look I was, at a very specific instance of it. I was thinking that might have been a scanning error or something because, you know, U-R-N, R-N next to each other looks very close to an M. Mm. So it might have been like um was actually in whatever they, they got this copy from, but it miscorrected it to earn. But I was like, this. I was like, is this... Because I, I didn't put enough... I didn't think I had enough faith in the author to be using earn in the City of the Dead book, because Urn, uh, this book's all about burial, and he was using Urn in dialogue as a pause, and I was like, I, I don't think he's that clever, and that idea isn't even that clever, but okay, okay, that might just be a, a remnant of, of my, my copy. Sure, yeah, I, I don't think I, they do that. Okay, and I told, I also told Zach, this, some more credence is lent to this theory, because in my copy of Planet Plague, um, there's an insane slew of typos and strange formatting, it's, it's really weird, and I could still read it, um, but there's so many instances of things that make me think that this was some type of text scanning that went wrong, and you know it wasn't it wasn't calibrated for the right font or something because every instant of the word force flow is replaced by force and then a capital A and then an O W. So the F L in force flow is replaced by an, a capital A. And if you draw an F and an L, like a lowercase F and a lowercase L close enough together, that could look like a capital A if you, you know, drew it that way. So who knows? There might have been stuff that I picked up on where it's like this is just a, you know, I didn't I didn't go to my local library. They don't let me in there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rob. Um, oh, right. The fourth book. I uh, Yes, there's a, a, a line of dialogue where something bad happens. And it says, blaster shot, Zack swore. Is blaster shot like a Star Wars curse word? I, uh... Because then there's a later book where, like, they said, like, Tash could hear Han swear over the intercom. And I was yeah. like, did he say blaster shot? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's possible. Um, I know the big one now they have now when somebody has to, like, it's something yelled in frustration is carabast. That's their new one. When something okay. kind of goes wrong. Whatever happened to, like, Nerf Herder? Well, I, I think that's just... Say Is that something. racist now? <laughs> Can't say that <laughs> word anymore. Um, I, I don't know. I think there's a handful of those words out there for Star Wars things. Uh, yeah. Moof Milker. Moof Milker is one. Blaster shot. Yeah, I know, like, what? In Force Awakens, there's one Moof Milker. Some Moof Milker. Yeah, it's it, they come and go, I think. I think it's just something cute somebody throws in the thing that thinks that they're clever. Yeah, okay. Oh, and I, I did I should have mentioned it before, but there's a um this is the nightmare machine book four. So they're at this amusement park type of thing, and they go into like the hall of mirrors, and you know, they got all these sci-fi mirrors that make you look like different creatures and all that stuff. And 
of course, the, the cliffhanger for one chapter is, like, Zack's like, oh, there's a monster in here! But it's just a funny mirror making him look like a monster. When DV and Tash come in, they're talking about how it's just a fun house. And DV has the line where he says, these trick mirrors intentionally distort one's image. And that is funny. And I was like, man, somebody predicted my exact thoughts on Snapchat filters today. Because <laughs> I don't get those at all. Like, those are the stupidest things to me. And that's exactly what this droid says. Oh, it's great. <laughs> See, folks, he finally related to a droid in Star Wars. We, we had breakthrough. DV wasn't wasn't bad. I, I wasn't against DV for the most part. When he takes the bullet in, what, the fifth <laughs> book or something for, for Tash, I was like, okay, come on. It made sense, though, because he's you know, tasked with taking care of him. So, you know, whatever. Oh, I did have a question. I think it's my last one. In the sixth book, there's a line, I think when they're getting away, where Tash is, like, inner monologuing, and she's like, I should use the force for good. It's not a weapon like weapon is, epin, epin weapon. And she says something like, even Darth Vader used to be a Jedi. Is that common knowledge? Like, how would she know that? Well, that well, oh, wasn't Force Flow feeding her information about all that about mm, the Jedi? He, yeah, that contraband that information. That's true. Is that they, they don't detail all of the information she gets from Force Flow. They just they throw they have the throwaway line where it's like you know she's been reading all of these you know uh, contraband documents from yeah. him. So that okay, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, but otherwise that would not be common knowledge, right? Like Obi Wan Kenobi knows it because he's Obi Wan, and then. Yeah, but again, this is still during that time of Star Wars where you didn't have the prequels, you didn't have the special edition. So your your Old Testament really was the bi- uh, was the original trilogy and the dozens yeah, guess, of just weird novels. And who knows what the I weird was, novels said? I guess I was thinking of a new hope. Like, doesn't doesn't Obi-Wan say like Luke is like who's Darth Vader? And he's like, he was an old friend of mine or something, and he used to be good, but then he went bad or something like that. So Yeah, that, that, okay. that's a it's a very uh Heavy dose of paraphrasing, but yeah, it's the idea. He was he was a good friend. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right on. I think that was it overall. You know, these were these were uh, easy to read, quick to go through, a good ride. You know, you get to roll your eyes just enough times. And uh, if you're if you don't really read a lot of fiction, this is something that is definitely uh, interesting to go back to if you used to read fiction like this. You know, with goosebumps for me. Yeah, it's easily digestible, it's inoffensive, and overall it's uh, perfectly serviceable children's content. Yep, so everybody in the audience, go out, read them, give your own ratings on a scale of negative 4 to 18 <laughs> in the Knights of Vader Facebook group. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, but yeah, so oh, yeah, that's fine. That's a, that's a nice summation of all of it. Right on, right on. I guess the last thing I have to say is, uh, since this is my first time on Knights of Vader proving that I can actually read, because uh, I think I've proved to you, Zach, because you've, I'm assuming you read the books. I didn't just find plot summaries or anything. I have some details that you can't find online. So now that I've proven that I can read, I hope I get uh, invited back for some other book reviews. I don't know if there's anything, you know, like this, like we said, maybe the, the next six in a few years. Um, but I, I did want to prove to Zach as well that I could also write. Did you read that story I sent you, Zach? Of course I did, Rob. <laughs> I completely did not forget to read that at all about this that you told me a week ago about, and I'm just remembering it now. Well, that I, is fine. That is fine. I expected something as such, and I honestly almost forgot. I wanted to just talk about it at the beginning of this episode. But no, I uh, I have done some writing. Uh, 
I've uh, published in a few outlets for fiction and nonfiction. Um, a lot of my writing is really long and weird. Some of it's behind paywalls, but I did send one to Zach that is not behind a paywall, and it's pretty short and it's pretty manageable. I, uh, I think I'm going to, regardless of what Zach says, I'm going to share the link in the Knights of Vader Facebook group when this episode comes out, and I would suggest anybody to check out my work if you want to, you know, read something of mine and then criticize me, because that's only fair. You know, maybe John Whitman's in the Knights of Vader Facebook group. Who knows? Uh, check it out. You know, it'll be a, it'll be a fun one. So yes. thank you, Zach. Thank you for uh, keeping up. <laughs> yes, I, I'm, I'm glad I didn't let you down, Rob. I will uh, link to it in the show notes as well. Okay. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that earlier when we before we started recording. I was like, what, I was like, what do I even want to hear from Zach? I'd be like, Zach, do you like it? And he'd be like, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as good as insert Galaxy of Fear title here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think that was it for me. Any any last notif- Anything last bits you want to say about Galaxy of Fear? No, Galaxy of really. Fear's Edge. <laughs> Galaxy, oh. Galaxy's Edge of Fear. Edge, <laughs> the Edge of Fear in the Galaxy. I guess the uh, the last comment would be that you know expect to see Zach and Tash Aranda as um, I don't know, I guess older teens or young adults in Episode Nine. They're going to be main characters. No, they won't be. Uh, they'll be God by the events of that. They'd be. Um, oh, they're all. Oh, that's. Oh, they'd be, no, they'd that's be about. Right. Yeah. They'd be about ten years younger than like Han, Leia, and uh, oh God, uh, Luke. We'll see them as force ghosts. <laughs> oh god, they'll be like fifty. They'll think about that. Todd, oh, okay. Tash yeah, that's and right. Zach this is... would be like fifty years old. Let that yeah, in. yeah, because this is before, like we said, before Empire. Yep. Okay. So yeah, we're god. gonna get some. Uh, they're gonna go to the outer rim to recruit people. We're gonna get some Tash and Zach, and and then uh, I'm gonna have a, a two second audio clip that Zach will put in an episode when you are talking about episode nine. That's gonna be me saying, "I told you so." <laughs> he called it folks he that's called my it. prediction yes <laughs> oh god all right rob because now we kind of wrapped up our galaxy of fear discussion i think we have another star wars announcement that people might oh, not be aware of yeah. oh yeah it's the first time we get to talk about it uh on this podcast i know we mentioned it in monstober on cinemodities but i think this is where you know more people are looking for that info we recently got the announcement of thumb wars the Thighs of Sky Skipper, a new Thumb Wars supposedly feature film. I, I, I think I said on Cinemates, I haven't been excited for something in a while like I'm excited for this. <laughs> so we're going to be reviewing this. We have to. We're going to have oh, yeah. to review this uh, on, on every podcast ever. Not just ours, but everybody's. We're going to hijack like every other Star Wars podcast, break into their signal and just discuss Thumb Wars 9, The Thighs of Sky Skipper. True crime podcasts. We're gonna go take over that the episode. The uh, the two women from the office that do a podcast. We're gonna do <laughs> thumb wars oh, on no. there. It's oh, gonna no. be great. <laughs> so yeah, I, I guess I I want to bring it up on here because I know Zach has been posting some of these in the Knights of Vader Facebook group and also sending them to me. Trading cards? Is that what they're called? Trading yeah, cards? Yeah, yeah. Seems like who are you Steve trading Odekirk? these with? I don't know. Steve Odekirk is apparently doing like digital trading cards for all the major characters. So are they all on YouTube or they're on YouTube? Are they pop? Okay, and so they're not like popping up on different places, and someone's like, "Oh, I found this weird one. I found this weird no, one." Everybody I has them. So it's there's no like, trading. <laughs> it's kind of like what um, Adult Swim did with like what was it? The uh, characters from Aqua Teen. They started putting them like in bombs around oh, the like, Boston. Luna Knights. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, that's what Steve Oak did. He's put them in random places. <laughs> yeah, the Boston bomb scare. This uh, this uh, thighs of skyskipper is going to get canceled, like that Aquatine Hunger Force episode. 
All right, Rob, I have some of the character trading cards. I want you, I want to read some of them to you. Yeah, I, I still don't think I've seen all of them, so throw them at me. Our first set of characters, we have Princess Bunhead, Thumlow Wren, Crunchy. All these are cards are broken down to likes, dislikes, known for, and then some miscellaneous facts. So Princess Bunhead's like is butter. Her dislikes are palpy. She is known for kissing her brother, and her favorite show is The Great British Bake Off. Have you ever seen The Great British Bake Off? I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. It is like the most laid-back competition in the existence of anything. Like, you watch American cooking shows with Gordon Ramsay screaming at people all the time, and then this is literally like... It's like the equivalent of like animal videos on the internet. Like people just watch it and go, oh, like it's so weird for a competition. All right. Next we have Thumlo Wren. Likes ASMR. Dislikes. <laughs> I knew Rob was going to like that. <laughs> That's great. Dislikes shorts. <laughs> Steve Odekirk, man. There's a reason I, I, need, I knew we needed to do all the thumb movies. He's a genius. <laughs> Okay, um, known for silky hair, favorite place, hell. <laughs> hell exists in the Thumb Wars universe, I guess. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Um, okay, the next one is Puppet, re oh, reprising yeah. his role from the original Thumb Wars. Likes riddles, dislikes cold hands. <laughs> known for constantly looking different. Is that a... Is that a jet? Remember we talked about that in Thumb Wars, where when he's close up, it looks like one, but in the faraway shot when he's trading Luke, it looks like completely different. Oh, really? But yeah. Is that a jab <clears throat> at that? I think it's. I think it's meant that the thing about uh, the prequels where Lucas kept changing him. Remember, remember how Lucas oh, he's the puppet. Right. He's the puppet in the original trilogy. Then in the Phantom ah. Menace, he's a puppet. Then he's a CGI model in uh, Clones and Sith. And then Lucas for the Blu-rays changed it back to, or changed him then to a CGI model in the Phantom Menace. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that's probably what it is. <laughs> yes. And he's most likely to be packed in, colon, a box. <laughs> nice. Then we have another character called the Messenger. So is, who is this supposed to be? Let me find I him. don't know. Likes good news. Dislikes bad news, known for prompt delivery, vulnerable submission, colon, armbar. He's on the nail side of the thumb. Is this supposed to be like Hux or something or a, an officer? I, I don't know. It just says hmm. um, the messenger. He's a bad guy. He's on the nail side of the thumb. Interesting. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking of I'm thinking of Hux and like, you know, the, the start of The Last Jedi where he's like communicating with uh oscar isaacs and then it's like then he has to talk to snoke and he's like the i don't know he's because the good news and bad news thing is what makes mm -hmm. me think of that because he like doesn't want to talk to snoke or whatever but who knows all right next I, we I have I <laughs> next we have crunchy likes opera dislikes <laughs> being used for comic relief known for vocab i love it favorite weapon the bow <laughs> that vocab is great I'm so glad that Crunchy's coming back. I mean, I hope oh, we yeah. get some some truly, truly like grotesque shots, close-up shots of his thumb in this I film. Hope so. I really do. All right, next we have Palpy, who's actually called just that Palpy with a parenthetical of <laughs> Darth Insidious. And his likes are bounce houses, 
dislikes are the sun and Jedi's known for sparkle fingers, <laughs> favorite pet hamster. Nice. Does, a uh, uh, does that reference anything? The hamster? That I seems odd. Okay. I mean, right. it, it will in the movie. Sure. Uh, next is Popo likes participating in a primary plot. Dislikes being reprimanded known for starting strong favorite dating app tinder <laughs> so this is supposed to be poe dameron i'm guessing yes okay i like the right. being reprimanded part <laughs> all right next we have anna skin of course L- likes padme abadaba dislikes <laughs> being chopped and burnt mentor ubi do banubi of course and then it says motto i'm sorry Mono colon tone, <laughs> but it's interesting that Anna skin is listed on the nail side of the thumb. Yes, yeah. Oh, interesting, interesting. All right, next character is Pin. <laughs> likes escaping, dislikes troopers. Known for being around. Biggest hope, a strong finish. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> All right, next is Gridface, who's clearly a uh, parody of a Knight of Ren. He's a Knight of Thumblow Ren. Yeah, yeah, I'm seeing that, where it just it just states that he is that. Yeah, okay. Likes the throne room. <laughs> dislikes intermittent film appearances. <laughs> Special talent face styling. I love it. And now we get to our last bit uh, batch. Next character is Toes Rico. (laughs) Toes Rico. Um, Likes creature freeing. Really likes battle kissing. Known for midair collisions. Fave hairstyle, the swoop. Ah, that's the swoop. (laughs) I like Toes. That's great. Toes Rico. All right, now we have Black Helmet Man. Of course. We all know. Black Helmet Man likes... Padme Abadaba dislikes being chopped and burnt, known for asthma. Fav- <laughs> fa- favorite song, Work Bitch. <laughs> oh, jeez. So, yeah, you're right. It is interesting that we do get a Darth a Black Helmet Man and an Anna skin. Yes, and they're both on the nail side mm-hmm. of the thumb. So maybe we're going to have some uh, flashbacks or something going on. I think so. Mm, right on. All right. Next is Ballbot. Pol Pot. Yes, Pol Pot. <laughs> likes rolling. Dislikes potholes. Known for rolling. Purpose in film. Toy. Nice. I I that's when I was thinking like what is the BB eight parody name gonna be before it was revealed? I was thinking it was gonna have to be something related to like this thing was just created to sell toys. And I'm glad that, you know, even though the name doesn't reflect that. The purpose in film reflects that perfectly. <laughs> exactly. All right. The next character we have is Freaky Troll Creature. This is the one that stood out to me on all of them. I'm interested to see where this is going to come up. Yes, because this is a character that's on the nail side of the thumb, too. Yeah. Likes Mayhem in Yarn Ball. Dislikes Robots. Known for Wild. Skull Thickness Thin. What? What could this be? Is this a parody of an Ewok? But why would it be on the nail side of the thumb? They, oh, that's a good point. Yeah, what, I, I, have, I don't know what this could be. I'm intrigued. 
Yeah, I don't know. The, the comment section is just as baffled. I'm not sure who or what this would be parrying. And another person wrote WTF. Oh, and someone did reply Ewoks. All right, folks, I'm going to write. <laughs> Zach's commenting in real time. Yes, I am. <laughs> All right, there we go, folks. If you go click on the uh, freaky monsters thing, you'll see, or freaky troll creature, you will see my comment. <laughs> Padme Abadaba. Pad, last, and the last one is Padme Abadaba. Her likes are bad boys. Her dislikes are haters. She's known for having mega kids. And <laughs> the next one, the best one is pretty colon yes. <laughs> Perfect. And she's on the fleshy side of the thumb. Of course. Padme Abadaba. Abba dabba, ooby doop, ooby doop, ooby dooby dooby. <laughs> yes. Interesting that we see no uh, loop, uh, what, lope, Scott, oh God, lope, lope ground runner. Yes, lope ground runner. No um, Han duet yet. Han duet, yeah. No Lando. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, how, uh, how, how frequently have these been coming out, or do they all come out at once? Um, the last one came out about a day ago. The previous batch was four days ago. And then prior to that was five days and mm, about okay. a week. So he seems to be putting them out maybe like every other day or so. Okay. And it's okay. So we got some more to look forward to. Yes, there will certainly be. I would imagine there'll probably be three or four, like until we get this debuting on December 1st. Yep. I hope Gaba the butt is one of them. Oh yeah. That'd be great. <laughs> Han, Hans Han. Hans. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They should have a trading card for a, for the ship. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, it's gonna be great folks. It's gonna be so much fun. Yeah, I, I think it's no surprise, but I, I am honestly more excited for this than episode nine. <laughs> I think that goes without saying, Rob. I mean, I would, yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't think it's been said, but when, when, like, this was a couple of months ago, Rob said something came up about the rise of Skywalker. And he's like, Zach, I want no parts of this talking about this movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think because I, I think the, uh, the rule we have is like every month I'll try to be on Knights of Vader. And I was like, I don't want, I don't want to discuss episode nine anywhere near when it comes out. I do not want to be a part of it. If you want Rob's commentary on the rise of Skywalker, you're going to have to either uh, linger in the Facebook group and hope he comments about something, or go hang out somewhere in Colorado where you might run into him. <laughs> yeah, just just you know, aimlessly wander around, and I'll show up. <laughs> so something like the skinwalker if you see a minion wearing a christmas hat like inflatable chances are you're <laughs> yes. in the right spot yes head, head head in that direction absolutely you know you're getting, you know you're pretty warm if you see the minion with the santa cap it was it was actually like pretty cold the last two days and and the um the change in air pressure deflated the minion a little bit and it looks so sad it looks <laughs> so sad and it should because it's the middle of october <laughs> rob do you want to explain this to, to the audience I, don't, I think they might have gotten the story already, but like a week ago, I saw someone blowing up a minion wearing a Christmas hat in my apartment complex. And it's the middle of, it was early October at that point, and it's still there. I think they're either being ironic or they're just like ignoring Halloween and Thanksgiving. <laughs> just like all the department stores. And I, I, I don't know the people who live there, but I've seen them. They look like they're normal people. Like they don't look like they're trying to be hipster, crazy ironic, but they also have like, one of those it doesn't say live laugh love but it's one of those corny oh. quotes on the exterior of their door oh so like when i walk by their apartment i can read that like the quote that's like you know something fan like god bless this mess or whatever the hell it is it's so not that funny <laughs> so, so they're ass 
I I that's what I'm gathering because they, they do that and they did they have this minion up and I really want to slash the minion. <laughs> but you know, I'm, I it's more something I just don't care about, but it's just baffling. And so yeah, head head towards a Google hit, go to Google Maps and type in minion in October, <laughs> and that's my apartment complex. I'm sure it's got some Google reviews. <laughs> There you go, folks. You've got narrowed down to what? How many? How many units? So the odds are in your favor at that point. Keep knocking on doors. Yeah. Alternatively, you could Google. I know there's a bike rack on CSU's campus that has like a thousand reviews. You could find that. <laughs> there. You, oh man, folks, he just gave it away. He just gave you a, a genuine identifier. <laughs> yeah, that, that that gives me that gives them campus, which everybody I think knew doesn't give them my apartment complex. Okay, but close enough, folks. Now you know what campus. <laughs> Just go around all the apartment complexes that have minion blowups, and there, the there Col- you go. Colorado scavenger hunt. <laughs> if, if there's any Knights of Vader listeners in Colorado that aren't on this call right now, chances are you can figure out where <laughs> Rob lives. He's giving you enough information now. You now can locate him. Come pretend to be the Skinwalker. <laughs> oh boy! Speaking of Skinwalkers, Rob, this is hot. Well, the day this is debuting is Halloween, so I guess we should wish all the Knights of Vader fans, Galaxy Warriors, a happy Halloween, a happy Montstober. Um, you probably have some weird, unique way to say Halloween, don't you, Rob? Uh, like happy really? day, happy day <laughs> of like I don't know, happy uh, Silver Shamrock Day. <laughs> 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 Six zero. Okay, what's what's the thing they sing for it actually being Halloween Day? Today's the day. Happy, Today's happy the day. Halloween. Today's the day. Be sure to gather around your TV sets tonight at nine for the big Halloween giveaway. <laughs> and remember to be wearing your silver shamrock masks. And you're gonna vomit up a snake. And if you're on the East Coast, be sure to go to bed wearing your mask. (laughs) (laughs) With the television on. The best, that's the best plot hole we found in that movie. (laughs) Time zones. (laughs) So concludes this episode of the Knights of Vader, a Star Wars podcast. Check out our Facebook group, type in Knights of Vader, and you will find us there waiting for you. Find us on Instagram at KOV Podcast. Shoot us an email, kovpodcast at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to us on. Thank you to Inspiriority Complex for providing our theme song. Check out the show notes to hear more from them. For questions, comments, concerns, or snide remarks, contact me, Zach, on Twitter at Cinemodies. And you can come here, Rob and I on Cinemodies, where we will spend the entire month delving into Monstober Top. Topics. And next month, which is fans giving Vember. <laughs> it's one of those. It's one of those. Fans Choice Month. So every episode has uh, been uh, sent to us as a request from a fan. We're going to narrow it down to the whole month, with one exception. Um, and it should be good. We'll have, uh, like I said on Cinematics, we'll have an outlet to be angry at other than each other. Yes. Yeah, so, by considering that most Knights of Vader episodes go out in real time, so there's a good chance that maybe if you send it to us the moment you hear this, we might <laughs> include your suggestion. Just maybe. So, uh, with that being said, Rob, when you are not espousing the wisdom of uh, Bob Donimus Gog and other things that shouldn't be in children's <laughs> literature, uh, where can people find you? So, of course, as Zach said, over on Cinemodities, you can find me also in the Knights of Vader Facebook group. I am also the person who runs the good old N Inspiriority Complex Facebook group. Come and give us a, a follow or whatever, a like, whatever you do on Facebook. 
Uh, we like to post our music, music we also love, things like that. I want to give another shout-out to the Immortal Lansberries, another band uh, that I'm partially re in, uh, responsible for. I don't know why I went to that instead of involved with first. Uh, but check them out. Uh, they love the listens. And other than that, you know, give a read to my story that I'll post, in, or Zach's going to put in the show notes. I'll put in the Facebook group when this comes out. And complain at me. Feel free. Oh, yes, folks. Do not hold back. I give you full authority to go after him. Beep boop trash can him. Give him the beep boop trash uh, yeah, can. Yeah, I know, because I've, I've torn a, torn apart uh, the, the Star Wars fandom survey. I've torn apart the uh, the childish writing of John Whitman. So, you know, I'm ready. Uh, this you got to balance the scales out. Exactly. Eviscerate him, folks. Have no, <laughs> show no mercy. Something, something dark side. Swallow the berry juice. It'll all be over soon. <laughs> uh, all right, folks. Good night, but not goodbye. And as always, remember Alderaan. Down, down with the, the Empire. Woo! Stop it, there's no more time. You've got to please stop it. Stop it now. Turn it off. Turn it off. Stop it. 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 Stop it.